Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. You made it weird. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird. You made it weird. Yes, you did. You made it weird. Oh, yeah. You made it weird with Pete Holmes. Hey, what's happening, weirdos? I'm recording the intro with Katie in the room, which is always different. Usually it's not with Katie, but this time it's with Katie. So I feel a little bit of pressure to do better. Here the tour date. This is John Hodgman, who's wonderful. So let's just get to it as fast as possible, which is what I always say. Uh, the tour dates, if you want to come see me doing stand-up live or possibly to one of these live You Made It Weirds coming up, here we go. June 28th, I'm going to be at the Aladdin Theater in Portland. June 29th, I'm going to be at the Neptune Theater in Seattle. On July 8th, we're going to be here in Los Angeles for the Troubadour Live You Made It Weird. The second time we're doing that, please come out on July 8th for the Troubadour. All these are on PeteHolmes.com, by the way, if you want uh, links to the... uh to the tickets and whatnot. July 11th, I'm going to be in New Orleans for one night for Tipitina's, and then we're going to Montreal July 24th through the 28th. That's going to be for Montreal just for laughs. And then on July 30th, I'm doing the final Living at Largo here in Los Angeles. The first three have been amazing, so please come out to that, www.largo-la.com if you want to come see me and my friends do stand-up and there's music. Uh, Sarah Watkins was one of the guests. Uh, uh, John C. Riley was one of the guests. We've been having a lot, a lot of fun. The sponsor this week is Hulu. Uh, this is perfect because I actually use Hulu, but it's Hulu Plus. Damn it. I'm not supposed to say that. Hulu Plus. Damn it. You go to HuluPlus.com slash weird is the idea because with Hulu Plus you get total control and you watch thousands of shows whenever you want and whatever you want. You can watch it on your uh, TV, your game console, your, you know, like a connected TV, Blu-ray player, your Roku, your Apple TV or your PC or watch from anywhere on your smartphone or tablet on demand at all times. You can binge on full seasons, watch your favorite current shows, even full series of classic TV shows. It's pretty much endless. They got Community, Modern Family, South Park, SNL, Family Guy, and more. Hulu Plus, only $7.99 per month. Per month, if you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash weird, that's an extended free trial of Hulu Plus that is only available to podcast listeners, weirdos. Take control of your TV watching experience and go to HuluPlus.com forward slash weird. For those of you who give me a hard time about saying forward slash or regular slash or not backslash, it's in the script that I have to read. Forward slash weird. Again, go to hooplus.com forward slash weird to get your extended free trial. That's it. John Hodgman. What a treat. What a fun time. Listen to it. Believe it. Own it. Cherish it. Do you live out here? No. So that's a rental car. Oh, you mean my white Mercedes? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's a rental car. I saw it, and I was like, "Good for you!" I thought you were treating yourself. I I had a lot of I had because we saw each other <laughs> in the parking white lot. Mercedes, and I'm like, and you know, I I I rented the car and yes. they dropped it off at the hotel, which is great. Yeah. Oh, but I never know what's going to happen. What I'm going to get? Oh, you didn't pick it out. I did not pick it out. Some you you're at a, you're at that next level. You got a publicist. You got I, a white Mercedes. I got. I'm at the white. Mercedes publicist level. <laughs> I mean, I've never had a card dropped off for me at my hotel. Oh, that's pre- that's not uncommon. Is it? In LA. Really? Yeah. Wait, how did you get from the airport to your hotel? Car? Uh, private Zeppelin. Why? <laughs> Isn't that what everyone does? John, you're losing touch. You're losing touch with humanity. Do you think I am? Yeah, I think maybe you need to take the I mean, bus. I can still see them from the Zeppelin. <laughs> 
them like ants that you just want to crush? Well, and no, it doesn't go. It doesn't go that high. Then <laughs> they're not ants. Well, maybe like carpenter, like big ants. Have you ever been on a zeppelin? Uh, no. First of all, I don't know that there are a lot of zeppelins. A blimp, I suppose. Blimps are you know, well. You know the difference. No, course. I don't. Ze- a zeppelin is a rigid body frame, and a, and a <laughs> blimp is a soft body frame. <laughs> they're both airships. When I went to my personal trainer, I said, I'm a blimp. I'd like to be a Zeppelin. I really wanted yeah, to become f- like a hard-bodied blimp man. Yeah, that that would be that would be fair. Yeah. That would be a fair instruction. Well, he's like a weird German pilot. Right. If you're, if you're presuming that your trainer is schooled in the different types of dirigibles and airships. <laughs> dirigibles? I want to learn so much today. Um <laughs> But yeah, but to be to, to be a zeppelin and not a blimp would mean you would have the exact same girth of body. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? You'd have the exact same body shape, but it would just yes. be very hard. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We don't make them anymore. It would be like that big, that big hard beer belly. That's what a that's what a zeppelin body would be like. And why don't we make them anymore? What beer bellies? <laughs> zeppelin. Oh, I think we're making them all the time. We do make them a lot. Men, that's the problem um, area for dudes, isn't it? It is. Lady's got the upper thigh. Before we go into body dysmorphia, let's put a pin in that. (laughs) We can. We talked about how we were looking good. I'm going to write down looking good. There were some things. Yeah, please write that down. (laughs) I wrote down looking good. No apostrophe because we know what we're doing. There were some. And also put a pin in save the magic for the air. (laughs) Okay, well, do you believe in that? I, I believe in it very much. Okay, of course you do. To the point that, to the point that, you know, the minute I saw you. Yes. We put a pin in it. We said, save the magic for the air. Yep. Let's not talk. I didn't want to and talk. I was, and I was joking, and you weren't. I wasn't joking. And I appreciate that. I, well, I respect real. that. And then, the other, and then the other thing was, he's going to say something about my white Mercedes. I am. I, I, in the parking lot, yeah. I'm like, yeah. He's it's going to happen. Something's well, going to come up. People make fun of my car, sometimes the other way. Black Volkswagen Golf. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's the sound I made when La- you called out my car. <laughs> I'm the world's greatest detective. <laughs> You know what I like to look for, and I think I've maybe said this on the show before, is the UPC symbol on the ba- on the rear driver's side window of a rental car. That, that's oh, how you know it's a That's how you know car. it's a rental. And then I think somebody pointed out to me that some of the n- nicer cul-de-sac, like uh, gated communities, also have those. So it's not always true. So but, that so that you can so you can breeze through the gate like a like, yeah. an, like an easy pass. You have easy pass in Los Angeles. Yes, I believe we do have. Easy you know, like pass. A, like mm-hmm. I don't know if it's called that, but you know, with the the RFID toll paying system. Yes, it's also called fast track. I fast believe. track. Uh, if, oh, look! If you go on the road, a lot of civil servants had a great time coming up with names for these things. <laughs> Well, what I'm fa- you you love perception. I love perception. My last name is Holmes, but I'm fascinated with Sherlock Holmes. I love that stuff. Yeah. I want to be the person that notices stuff like that. The fact that you notice my parking sticker, which does tell you where I does live, does that make me the greatest detective of all Living. time, or just a creep? Let's I see the- what he's got in there. <laughs> I think you could learn a lot from looking at the contents of my car currently. Oh, yeah. It needs to be cleaned very badly. What else is in there? Well, there's uh, Chelsea Peretti. You know Chelsea. Sure, she's she makes, in there. She's in there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I've just had it with her shit, so she's in there. <laughs> I figured I'd drop her off after the podcast. Sure. We had this scheduled. Sure. She's not going to decay in two hours. It's going to be fine. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 
it's a little yeah. too dark. No, no, it's. I was just, I was just thinking. Wow, two hours. Is, I'm not sure my schedule. No, you, yeah, you can. You, I, I also, oh, as I said that, I was like, you can also go in. Oh, I want to. I will talk to you for hours, I, Pete Holmes, and that has always been the case. I well, you're a sweet man. You're a sweet. sweet I enjoy man. talking to you. Well, it's a weird thing that we are just kind of like we decay once we stop living. Isn't that kind of strange? Do you ever freak out about like the idea that it's I'm almost a- like we're the only things keeping our bodies alive? <laughs> <laughs> once we stop. It's up to us. Yeah. But involuntary muscles freak me out. Heart, lungs. Uh, yeah. I hate that stuff. You're talking about smooth muscle tissue as opposed to striated muscle tissue. <laughs> the, the blimp muscle tissue. Blimp versus Zeppelin muscle, <laughs> muscle cells. Yes. Basically. All right. Put a pin in, are we the only things keeping our bodies alive? Body. I'm just going to write bodies. I am totally biting one of my favorite podcasts by doing this put a pin in it thing I just realized what which is, is that? Ro- Roderick on the line John Roderick and Merlin Mann's podcast I don't know it Marilyn Manson has a podcast you know it right yeah wow uh, yeah so everyone should take a listen to that as as karmic Do you... payment for my taking sure. taking Merlin's bit of putting things on putting a pin in things what is your feeling on uh, on cr- acceptable plagiarism you know what I mean yeah the idea that we're absorbing things from each other all the time I think that you know there are there are various aphorisms like all art is stealing that plagiarists use to justify what is they're doing. A, I've never heard that one. All art is stealing. I think, and the reality is that, that I think that acknowledges a reality yes. that as creative people we are we are to some degree the product of our influences without question, mm-hmm. and that we are moved to be creative because of great things that we see. Right uh, or here, depending on the art, and it changes our brains, and sometimes our brains are are changed in a way that we're now going to make art that is similar to to that thing. Right. Forever. Also, you learn by copying. I mean, right. So long as you understand that you're learning. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. 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 I think. And then the and then the art of creativity is a kind of a collage where you are taking all of your various influences and insights, not just cultural, but also from your own life. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of make choices and synthesize it into something new. Right. But to that in mind, I'm, I'm married to a high school teacher, and I do not believe there's any acceptable plagiarism of any kind. What do you mean? Like if, literal one-for-one plagiarism? If you are presenting, consciously or unconsciously, material that is identifiably belonging to someone else and mm-hmm. you are presenting it as your original idea that is plagiarism mm-hmm. no matter the format no matter the what hmm. now if of you course. if you are acknowledging so for example it was unconscious of me when i started saying put a pin in this put a pin in this put a pin on this i could also argue that that's just a thing that people say it could, it could be but but i immediately realized this is where i got that from right but what if you and got i could from- not let it stand without saying by the way that's not this you know Probably could have gotten away with it. Probably sure. no one would have noticed. But right. for me, I need to say, but I need to acknowledge. Place. What if you got it from your father, who's always saying, "Put a pin in it." Didn't you also steal it from your father? Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because there is, was it? Fear? If I were taking something, well, well, that's an. I mean, you know, just by being ra- raised, right? I mean, I have human children, and I see my kids ripping me off all the time. That's, what, that's right. They're ripping you off all Facial the time. Facial expressions, turns of phrase. Wiping style. Bits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fake trivia. <laughs> that's, the, that's your bed. Totally. That's your bed. Totally. But we're the products my of son, plagiarism. He's, he's going to turn eight years old, and he's trying to grow a mustache. <laughs> and I'm like, do dude, it. don't do it. Paul F. Tompkins was there first anyway. Uh, old little Paul F. with the mustache. Yeah, I Paul and I have split up. 
mustache comedy. I was in the mustache comedy territory, west of the Mississippi. But it's you false. also both sharp dressers. You know, I was watching that midnight. He's a sharper dresser than me. He is a sharper dresser than you. Look, we've come back to the pin. Look, I'm going to say it, but I don't know. I don't know Marilyn Manson's podcast. I'm going to. I know it's a joke. It's a comedy joke. I know it's not really Marilyn Manson's podcast. I'm going to go back to the pin, looking good. Going back to looking good in the sharp dresser, and that that, you know. Let's do a chapter heading. (laughs) Can we reset for a second, please? Yes, please. Boy, boy, chapter one: looking good in the parking lot. want this to be npr so bad like i love that sort of stuff i love yeah. you do a lot of this american was i life. just ripping off this american life yeah now? a little bit <laughs> you just i didn't totally say act one i didn't say act one act one act one looking good in the parking lot oh can i just say something like ira glass no i can't do an ira neither can i but i'm trying i don't think you should try it's been covered by fred armison well you know what that's another type of plagiarism. You know what I mean? Like Fred, I had this discussion with, with Jay Moore. Right. If you find the touchstone to an impersonation and then you figure out a way to do it, I think that is a plagiarizable territory. That being said, well, wow. but no, I wouldn't say that. That's if you if you do an impersonation of a public figure, yes, and you find a way to do it, that's not plagiarism because it is clearly an impersonation, right? But I think you could rip off someone else's impersonation. Well, everybody does Eddie Murphy's Bill Cosby, for example. I think that that's true. I but, can't do that. But what's weird is that they're all plagiarism. I guess they're all mimics. They're you know I'm mimicking Mim- Bill Cosby. Mi- mimicry is different from plagiarism in the sense if you're acknowledging that it's. But the mimicry. thing is, is like when Jay Moore did Stephen Wright. I've heard yeah. Stephen Wright talk a million times. I was like, oh, that's how you do Stephen Wright. And then, right. and then I was doing Stephen Wright with him. But like when I heard Stephen Wright talk, I wasn't like, oh, that's how you do Stephen Wright. Like sometimes yeah. it takes another person. Oh, I realize he lowered his voice, as obvious as that is. I noticed there's a Boston accent, as obvious as, as that is, once you hear someone else do it. Yeah, right? no, I mean, I think that a, a gifted impersonator, is that what we say? Impersonator or impressionist? Yeah. I, think I never was able to settle on that Impressionist one. sounds like we're in a museum in France. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 If you take an impressionist gifté. Yes. You know what's funny? One of the first times we ever hung out. the worst French accent I've ever done. I and liked I, it. And I got a lot of French in me. Tu as un bon cul. That's <laughs> tu, all I got. Tu as un bon, bon cul. Cool. You have a nice ass. Thank you. But what Looking did I say? Looking good in the parking lot. <laughs> Act one. Stand by. Wait. Stand by on cough button because I'm going to hack up some TB. Do it. <coughs> wow. Not a, not a smoker. No. Put a pin in that, too. <laughs> Smoking? Uh, phlegm. <laughs> now I'm just picturing putting a pin in phlegm, that which was is the very idea. gross. I'm writing that down smoking anyway. Copyright that. You do drugs? Uh, I do alcohol. I've always done legal drugs. Yes. Because I've always been a good kid. Me, too. You know? It's so, so funny. Like, you started drinking later, I'm guessing? Yeah. When I, you- was, I, was, uh, I was straight edge, not by philosophy, but by... By neuroticism, because it was illegal. Straight edge by neurosis, and it, because it was illegal, and I was a good kid, and I, I was a, and I was a studious kid. I can't believe you're saying this because I've just been having this conversation recently, which is like I not only did I start drinking when I was 21. I'm glad you can rehash a conversation you've been having with other people now that I'm here. It was in real life. Go that, on, that was good. Okay, plagiarize. I loved it. I loved. I love that certain specific feeling of, of lemon on the paper cut. Pla- I like that please, feeling. Please, please plagiarize the yes, conversation you had that in real I'm life. Plagiarizing myself. Yeah, that's actually one of the. That's, I think no, but that, plagiarizing yourself that, is, the, is creativity. That's what I'm saying. Yes. That's the ultimate goal. When I think something and I go like, "Oh, that's a real Pete joke," I'm like, "Fuck!" That's the rarefied air. That's where you want to be. Yeah, where you're realizing that you're doing something that is like so perfect for but you. Write down that's a real Pete joke. 
because I'd like to come back to that as well. <laughs> okay. I don't know if you're joking, but you I just wrote, wrote down, down Pete joke, but I'd like you to write down that's a real Pete joke. <laughs> that's a real. Otherwise, I might lose the essence. I'm also going to put quotes around Pete joke. I would put quotes around Pete, but not joke. <laughs> but maybe that's a real Hodgman joke. I don't know. But listen to you this. were saying <laughs> drugs. Drugs. So if, you were a good kid. You, if weed were legal when I was 18, yeah. I would have started smoking uh, pot when I was 18. I think. And I didn't smoke pot until I was 28, and I'm not a big fan of pot. I think it fucked my head up a little bit. That's I think, me. I think uh, I, I, I literally planned a trip when I was 18 to England so that I could drink legally. Oh, my God. That's next level. Yeah. Because I'm with you. I drank when I was 21 in this country. I'm so li- – what is the word? Litigious? Litigious? Uh, well, you're going to sue people? <laughs> What I can't it? believe you made me take a drink, sir. I'm 17 years old. You shall be hearing from my solicitor. You're you yell, yelling at yelling at a dude who bought you a wine cooler in the parking lot of a 7-Eleven. That's right. Or I'm let's at- go, let's go, Massachusetts at Cumbies. Oh, okay. All right. I do like. I am very litigious when it comes to drinking, but I meant by the letter, like really uh, following the to the letter of the law. Yeah, to the yeah. letter of the law. I uh, I, I uh, even would start saying ass when they started saying ass on TV. That's worse. You had to wait. Until, yeah. until Alan Alda said "son of a bitch" on Mash. When, uh, when even then, I still feel a little. Ooh, you know, <laughs> son of. A... It was Billy on Melrose Place said "you're an ass," and then I was like, "Now I say ass." Isn't that weird? And then That's Simpsons, "What the hell?" and "damn it," and all that sort of stuff came into my. So you yeah. actually were so. What were you afraid of? Getting caught? Being? Bad? I was just not. Yeah, being bad. Yeah. I was just not a transgressive person. Um, Only in, child. In, yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. You as well? No. Younger. And my brother, I'm not trying to out my brother. I think my brother, I can't really speak for him because I don't know the truth, but I think he Mm -hmm. was less worried about that sort of thing. He was kind of out living, being a more normal kid. Being a normal. Being a normal. And I was obsessed with being like, you don't drink because you're not 21. And I was an only child. And and I've been thinking about being an only child a lot lately because for many, many years, people would say, are you... You must be so sad that you were an only child. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, I, I, I had everything I wanted. Right. Like, my parents loved me, only me. It seems like it's like the everyone else is polygamous almost that has multiple children. It's true. <laughs> you know I mean, mean like you know, you were... we have two children, and and I, I I'm fond of both of them. Right. But it was really a, a, an impossible concept for me to take in that I that when we planned to and then had a second child that i was going to be able to love a second child right like, interesting and, and you know rationally i could accept this happens all the time sure you know what I mean? sure, sure sure it's normal and that I, but but on a very deep visceral level it just seemed completely uh uh incomprehensible to me <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and and it's sort of it's it was sort of like that feeling of that airplane cannot fly Right. You're crazy. Right, right, right. That you know? boat can't float. Right. Huge a boat can't. Yacht. Right. It's made out of metal. Right, right. Do you know it what sinks. I mean? That's what metal does. But then it works. Yeah. Um, but that's because you were the only child and you I got was an all only the child. love. But you and loved for, it. And I loved it. I loved it. And I and I loved my parents and we got along really well. I right. mean, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, being an only child is uh, your parents are sort of like your weird older roommates <laughs> as much as they're. <laughs> 
<laughs> your parents because you're just like, what do you want? What shall we have for dinner tonight? Well, because they got it covered, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's hard to raise any children. I have to imagine, but one kid seems a lot more manageable. Once There's I t- hit, once I hit teenager dumb yeah. or early teenager dumb, their job was kind of done. Yeah, you know, my values were instilled. I wasn't a. I wasn't a monster. Right. We all liked watching public television together in the evening. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You were just. I was. You were a little gentleman. I was a little getting gentleman. your passport to fly to London for a nip of brandy. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was something along those lines. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So you got along with your folks, and you were your only child. My my stereotype with only children, just to speak frankly, is sure. that, that that they tend to be a little bit more entitled. That they that they expect the world to revolve around them. Yeah. Do you run into that? Does your wife ever call you on that? Uh, could we ask just the questions that I pre <laughs> Get your publicist up here. <laughs> He's just waving I just down. think that I'm entitled to the questions <laughs> that I, I sent you ahead of time. I'm going to go with the questions that were just... I just want everyone to know who's listening. Up until this moment, everything that... <laughs> all of our banter was scripted to the letter. <laughs> By me. It was really hard to memorize these asides. You did a great job. You made me not know the word litigious, which I didn't care for. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you have to make me the dummy? Uh, last night I was on the phone with Pete, and I was like, Pete, 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 I gotta, <laughs> this is a good bit. You say something about being litigious about drinking age, and, and I'm going to say, I'm not sure that's quite the right word, and then we'll do this run about you yelling at a guy <laughs> in the parking lot of a Cumbies, cooler. but I'll say 7-Eleven first, and then we'll bring out the Massachusetts yep, yep, thing of Cumberland yep, Farms. Yep. Oh, my God. And just remember, Pete, and remember, uh, at about at about the three-minute mark, we have to have a conversation about saving the magic for the air. <laughs> and putting a pin in it. Fake plagiarism yeah. to keep us in that we area. Have to, we have to do a bit about saving the magic for the air so that, that we can be, be so spontaneous. Remarkable. It would be one of the hardest endeavors, I think, of our lives to try and recreate this conversation as it was, like, as, like naturally. As not, only, not only difficult, but not only one of the hardest endeavors of our lives, but perhaps the most pointless. <laughs> Also impossible. I love it. No, I love. It. Oh wait. So what I was going to say is, yeah, yes. entitled only children, but also like I, um, for many many years, I I, I was cr- I, I thought people who thought being an only child must have been sad or lonely was crazy. I had two rooms. <laughs> you know, I had a suite in our house. <laughs> you had two rooms. Yeah, we lived what in. What did a- you have a play? Was it a playroom? Or was it your office? A playroom. <laughs> it was your office? It was my living room and den. <laughs> I mean, I had one room when I was a child. But Pete Holmes, <laughs> you we had lived a in... a living room and a den with your bear slippers and a thermos. My mom and dad were the first... You know, they came from working class families in Fitchburg and Philadelphia, respectively. They were both the first... Uh, members of their families to go to college. Okay. Uh, or I think that's true. I think that's true, more or less true. Mm-hmm. Um, and they both became professionals. Uh, my mom was a registered nurse. She's no longer living, but a nurse administrator. And my dad initially went was at an accounting firm, but he was a business guy, and he ended right. up being CEO a CEO of a couple of different small emerging technology. And their parents companies. were more like. His dad worked in the paper mill, and his mom was the housewife, and her dad worked in the newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and her mom was a, a homemaker as well. Well done. So, that. Yeah. I'm impressed that you had that right away. I have a memory of my family. Do you? Sure. I, oh, I thought you meant, do you mean you have the memory of all your family has as good memory? Or well, you but here's the thing that's saying, family. like, I, I see things, and this is 
plagiarism. I can't remember where from, so I'm just saying this out there. You stole it from Blade Runner. This, it's plagiarism. It's plagiarism. <laughs> the iRobot was mad plagiarism. It was totally mad plagiarism. <laughs> Sorry, please keep it, going. It was a it was a perfect replicantation of oh, that. Mo- no, no, but no, everybody no, liked it. No one, liked everyone it. liked it. There's it's so just, many people I, hitting that 15 second back on the iPod. I just I, I hear everyone going. Uh, let's go on to the next one. You never hear that. Everyone's so happy you're here. Someone said, and something I was reading recently that made a lot of sense to me, and I can't remember who, and if someone will let me know on the internet, let me know, please. But that they don't, they kind of don't understand any job that wasn't described by Richard Scarry in What Do People Do All Day? That's a show. That's a show? What Do People Do All Day? What Do People Do All Day is a, the Richard Scarry book, What Do People Do All Day? You know who I'm talking about, Richard no. Scarry? Mm-mm. Oh, children's, famous children's book. Author and illustrator. Okay, in which he would he had a book called "What Do People Do All I Day." I should read this book. <laughs> oh, it's one of the most amazing books of all time. Is it really? Because I always go to architect or barber. That's all I got. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, I need what do people? There do are all other day. occupations. Yeah. Oh, come on, <laughs> teacher. I know teacher, doctor. But Richard Scarry would do these these uh, these big format illustrations of like a cityscape and all these animals dressed up in clothes because it's for kids, right? Mm-hmm. So pigs and cats. And Lowly Worm, you never heard of Lowly Worm? I know Lowly. Lowly Worm. I, in Scarry fact, character. that was one of the early times in my life when I was like, that'll be my thing. Like, I was super young, but I was like, Lowly will be my thing. Like, Lowly that Worm was, is going to be your... It'll be like my unique... Your reference? Everyone else has like a teddy bear. I want to make a Lowly Worm doll, because one of the books showed you how to make it. Didn't make it, though. Oh, yeah. So but I know, know this guy. Going, I know going this guy. deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to make a Lowly Worm and not have it just look like a weird poop. <laughs> I just dropped a lowly worm off. That's worm. what I did all so day. So lowly worm would drive around in his little <laughs> apple car yep. wearing his weird Swiss mountaineer's cap yep. because Richard Scarry lived in Switzerland. Even though he's American, he lived, I think he's from Massachusetts. He lived in Switzerland all his life. He would draw these these Swiss European cityscapes with cutouts yes. of all the offices and, and all of the underground workers working on pipes. And the underground worker working on pipes. Mm-hmm. Pipe fitter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they have someone, a, a cat in, a, in later hosen typing on a typewriter going – uh, novelist, right. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, right. And then you would see an optometrist, and you would see a, a, a ice cream salesperson, and a Zeppelin repair dude. <laughs> okay, and, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. I need to reread this book. Oh, <laughs> it's fantastic! It's fantastic, and and it's true. And so, whoever it was out there who said this, and I will credit you as soon as I know who you are. Thank you very much. Mm. But for for a, a awakening in my brain, it's like I also don't understand. I don't understand jobs that could not be described in a Richard Scarry book. Uh-huh. Just simple work that you can put your hands on, basically. Right. Do you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, consulting, do not understand. Me neither. And what's weird is that I, I, I love my dad very much, but if you ever ask me what – he's now retired. But if you ever ask me what he did, it would take me, like, a full count of ten <laughs> to try to figure it out. Paper mill. No, that was my grandfather. Oh, right. So Your my dad, grandfather, you oh, say, like, I'm I have sorry. that at my fingertips. Paper mill. Right. That's uh, Working in the scary. printing press of the yep. Philadelphia Inquirer. Yep. You know, uh, homemaker, homemaker. Your dad was an accountant, man. My dad worked at Cooper's and Librand, and I don't know what he did then because I was so young. By the time I was old enough to know what he was doing, he was CEOing at a, at a like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know that when he you. retired, he was the the CEO of a Massachusetts state funded capital investment firm yep. that invested with state funds in emerging technology companies in Massachusetts, and I can say that because I trained myself to say it yeah. like a minor bird. 
Like that sounds like I know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, but yeah. like, what what do people do all day? I do not know what my daddy right, do all day right, right, when he goes. Right, right, do you know? Like, yeah. he's not. If he's if he's not. Is he looking at a pile of money and other? Co- there's co- representations of companies in <laughs> felt or something. Yeah, he goes and talks to the to the the, the cat and later hosen and the dog in the business suit. <laughs> And they make plans for, you know, investing. They invest in Raymond Kurzweil's company. Oh, God. I'm so, I felt a valve in my brain shut as soon as you said CEO. That, that, just that term, I was like, it's I just don't conce- know. It's, it's, as, it's as conceptually locked off a concept to me as the idea of loving two children simultaneously. There you like, go. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back, everybody. So you're kidding. <laughs> Chapter two. Ah, I was going to say act two. I was going to say you act two. can't say act two. That's plagiarism. Act two. No. He doesn't no. even sound like that. Oh, what I was going to say yes. is that Fred Armisen's obvious uh, impersonation of Ira Glass is amazing. Yep. I couldn't that, tell who and was that who. Exper- that, that whole thing was amazing. Yeah. There, there, is a, there is an e- equally brilliant, unauthorized, This American Life parody that's still on the air oh, by Casper yeah. Hauser. I don't know. The, the sketch comedy group out of California. And uh, it's San called? Francisco. Stories from This American Life. That's okay. Yeah. I think that uh, Jesse Thorne put it out on his podcast network at one point or another. You can find it if you go to CasperHauser.com. There's an, amazing. I think there might be another one then because I've told a story on one where they like the I'm whole sure there is. is supposed to be This American Life. Or I'm whatever. sure there is. How popular is This American Life? Extremely popular. Is it? Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things like The New Yorker where people either care about it or they don't at all. I think that that, that may be true, but right. I, think, I think that more people – I, I don't know. I don't know what the New Yorker's circulation is. Right. And I, th- and I think that with the New Yorker, that is a that is as much a a badge of cultural status as it is weekly reading, sure. appointment reading for people. But have you ever been in the shouts and murmurs? You're, you seem no. You got it written all over yourself. You would th- you would think so. Yeah. When um, I picture shouts and murmurs, I picture you shouting and murmuring. <laughs> 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 there it is. Print it. <laughs> Do you ever read the New Yorker and you read what did make the shouts and murmurs and you're like, no comment. <laughs> I'll speak to it. I knew the people when I was going to leave the room for a moment. When I was at the New Yorker, they'd get so I love Steve Martin to death, but of they course. hated that he would get in so much because they were like, what I wrote was so much better. But his name is Steve Martin and that sells magazines and it definitely does. Yeah, but that you could say that about anything in culture. That's true. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And. I, I loved the Steve Martin contributions to The New Yorker. Loved them. Right, sure. And there is one of them that absolutely, you know, I, 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 I'm as influenced by Steve Martin as, as anyone who likes comedy. But mm-hmm. w- one of my favorite things of his was an essay that he wrote in there called Writing is Easy. Okay. Which was just a long essay about how easy it is to write <laughs> and why he doesn't understand why more people don't do it. It spoke to me very deeply. <laughs> that seems that's kind of in your voice. It seems something like you would write. Well, and to, to, that was I remember reading that in the '90s when I was still working at the literary agency. Yes, not sure what I was going to do, and not having a comedic voice. So right. To what degree I was, you know, uh, the, the the absolutely. There's a lot of plagiarism of Steve Martin in my oh. in my writerly voice for sure. For for me too, as a stand up as well. Yeah. The, the idea of a guy who's aware that he's doing stand up while he's doing stand up. I we all stole that from Steve Martin. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it does go back to the idea that all all art is is thievery right. to some degree. Because who did Steve Martin steal it from? I, I I can't have that conversation, but people can tell you. But there's a difference between influence and 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 who is and, yes and. And even unacknowledged influence. Sure. Do you know what I mean? And misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think plagiarism essentially amounts to taking a, a an identifiable turn of expression mm-hmm. or or phrase of expression 
whether that's word or music or whatever, like that is identifiable and, and, and copied mm-hmm. and presenting it as your own. Mm-hmm. That cannot be spun as homage. Right. Do you know what I mean? I that do is, know what that you is, mean. That I was is, trying to think of people we knew that, that have done that. Certainly uh, one of your many bosses, John Stewart, learned some things from Letterman. I think they all agree that they learned from Letterman. Well, yeah, you learn tricks. You tricks. learn approaches. You learn ways to look at the world. Right. I mean, none of, none of us is raised in a vacuum unless mm-hmm. you're John Hodgman in Brookline, Massachusetts, right. only child, literally raised in a vacuum. <laughs> How sprung, much? sprung from the thigh of genius in Brookline, Massachusetts. <laughs> I want to, we're going to get back to your parents and the college. How much of, you know what's funny about me is, uh, not me, but like the difference between you and I, I think, perhaps. Your comedy comes from a lot Chapter of... Chapter three, what's funny about Pete? <laughs> you come from a place of understanding, which I like. Thank like you. You know things. Like you I, know words and, and I know expressions. Some things, sure. I like and, knowing things. And you're literary and you can write and, and, and you're well spoken and all that sort of stuff. A lot of my comedy comes from like I'm an idiot and I misunderstand. But not that's not even a persona. Like I misunderstand things a lot. Yeah. And then my com what comedy is, is like uh Marin says this on his show all the time. He's like people come become comedians to uh control why people are laughing at them. People are already laughing at them, but you become a comedian to control why they're laughing. And that's very true. I have these big, huge misfires. I saw this uh, billboard recently, and it it was for a lawyer, and and then it had his number. But instead of dashes for the number, Mm -hmm. it had periods, and Mm -hmm. it didn't have the one. So it was like 888.455.8027. First of all, that's terrible. (laughs) What? I don't blame you at all for not understanding what was going on there. (laughs) Well, thank you. Like There there are conventions of how we can... I agree. How he communicated. There were no parentheses, no parentheses. So I thought, but this is. You might as well be reading a text from a teenager at that point. (laughs) (laughs) They're, I mean, they're put put a put a pin in this. They're changing. They're changing language at a rate that has not been that faster than ever in human history. I love talking about uh, teenagers, teenagers and their bodies. Oh, we'll put that under chapter. TK, body dysmorphia and teenagers. We do have looking good. We still have looking good. Listen to what my brain did, though. I saw that sign, Mm -hmm. and then I thought, oh, that's the number of cases he's won. Yeah. That's what my brain did. And now that's obviously wrong. The last four digits. It's a four digits. That's wrong. That's not how our numbers work. Right. But the thing is, is it's like a it's like a handicap. Basically, my brain failing in that moment then becomes kind of like another way of look. It's like a cheap man's like stupidity is a cheap man's way into a different way of looking at the world. You want to talk about Letterman's mm-hmm. uh, point of view. Being stupid is a, is a pretty good point of view because you misunderstand things all the time. Yeah. And now you're standing on your desk. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and. You know there there is a there is a an element to I don't want to pull this back to me I think I think it is an it is a pretty typical as you point out pretty typical comedic stance to look at something and and then take a thousand steps back into space mm-hmm. and see what is actually happening mm-hmm. do you know what I mean sure. that's um, you, what were you going to bring it back to you? The, you look at things and, and it's very very funny I, I I've actually read your books and stuff I love them thank you the idea that you're on top of it. You know what I mean? It's like in in almost you know. Of course, a lot of it. it it's I'm looking me. at things from from Private Zeppelin height. It, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that really hadn't been. I mean, Steve Martin kind of did it a little bit, but I think you you took it and went a completely different direction to this sort of. I, I think know. that Steve Martin certainly had a, a, a cultivated a, a, a sort of um, a pompous. Yeah, pompous. Uh, a pompous attitude of looking down at everything, right? While including gently, the audience. Re- including the audience, yeah. while gently revealing that he was an idiot, right? And there, and there was ab- absolutely that's 
Stephen Colbert's stated, right? You know, point of perspective as a high class or high status idiot, right? Which is Chaplin too. Which is Chaplin? Which is a high status hobo. He's not an idiot so much, but he was like this the scourge of the Peter Cook's Peter Cook's monologues were really influential to me and that he would just sit there and and authoritatively spout off insanity right do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i feel like there's a touchstone that i'm that that is so obvious that that i think my brain is purposefully blanking it out (laughs) so as not to even acknowledge how much i have ripped off someone Uh, i'm trying to think think of what i can't think of it either i'm trying to think of what it could be but I, that's that's as old. But as, there is one. I'll but like it. a low status character being a genius is also fun. Sure, you know what I mean. Like people just like here's to switch the, up. Here's the thing. Like I am concerned that there are going to be teenagers out there with body dysmorphia <laughs> and texting weird misspellings of words. Yes, who will be listening to this, saying, "Oh, well, this is what happens. I choose this comedic persona or point of view." And you mean just in their lives? In their lives or if they want to be a, a creative person, mm-hmm. a comedian or, or, or a writer or whatever. Oh, I, I choose a persona. I choose a point of view. Mm-hmm. And you can do that. And I think people can be pretty successful that way. And there's certainly choices that are made. But right. in terms of your acknowledging that you can't read numbers right, right. and my acknowledging that I like knowledge and facts and stuff, right. that, is, that is, I think, the core to – being a creative person, just honestly acknowledging right. who you are and what and what your perspective really is, honestly is right. And it's like making and it's harder fun. to know what it is. It's harder to know that it's impossible. It takes yeah. so much longer than I thought it would take to figure out who you are. Like right. it was right there in front of me the right. whole time. Right. But it took over ten years for me to be like, oh, I'm this guy. You know what I mean? And it took endless amounts of talking about yourself all these like kind of gauche grotesque things right and then you end up being like oh that's who i am that's how people see me i mean yeah i mean you know so you it was very nice of you to mention my books they're all they're all done now yes i wrote those three books of fake facts they're done well they are because the third one the third i did the third one there only ever needs to be a trilogy (laughs) i agree then it can stop sure you know i read the so not for plugging but just for reference no the first book was called The Areas of My Expertise. The second book was More Information Than You Require. The third book it came out in 2011 and then in paperback in 2012. Hey. That is all. And they were all essentially one big book of trivia, like historical trivia and fascinating true facts, but they were all made up by me and they were right. all fake. Right. And I loved trivia books <laughs> and I had waited for a long time to try to figure out what kind of book I was going to write if I ever was going to write one. And when I hit on that idea, it was just gangbusters. Yeah, I knew yeah, exactly yeah. what to do. Right, right, right. And they, it, you know, by default, <laughs> by writing all this fake trivia about the nine U.S. presidents who had hooks for hands yeah. and the mysterious 51st state. Right. And the hobos, of course. The hobos. and, the, and, and Don't forget the hobos. And the, and the mysterious 51st state, which is just a magical plateau <laughs> and shrouded in clouds that moves around the country and sometimes even into Canada. And we don't know why we made it a state. <laughs> right, but it right, 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 right. You know, they describe the sort of alternate world. You're like a guy with a huge gun that just shoots it in the sky. You know, what I mean? like you have all this knowledge and wealth. Like you, I'm trying be. to take down zeppelins. <laughs> I know they're up there, <laughs> but there's a great delight in watching a guy with a massive gun that could be mowing down a forest or people, right. and he's just shooting in the sky and giggling at himself. Yeah, you're like, oh, there is a, there is an element of that. Yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah, um, but that's what makes it so fun. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, but you know that that invented world 
then got sort of deeper and more complex. And I tried to, even though the, the, the lists and the little articles and little pieces that I were doing were, I, I let myself be free to write whatever about I wanted. I, I tried to be at least honest to the world that I had created and do, mm-hmm. and do references to things that right. had happened in that world and so on to play that, that kind of game. Mm-hmm. Like improvising with yourself. Yeah, sort of. You could, like people will lose interest in something even phony baloney that's just being silly and playful if it starts breaking its own I rules. don't want to be silly. Like, like that was the thing. When I first started writing anything that could be described as comedy or humor, it was from McSweeney's. I had quit being a, a literary agent and was not sure what I was going to do with my life. Wait, you quit before you knew what you wanted to do? Well, I knew that I, I, I knew a couple of things. I knew that I wanted to quit. To quit. <laughs> I knew that I wasn't happy. Okay. And and it, and that's a hard thing to know about yourself. Yes. To know that you're not happy. Du- dungeoned, I would say. Dungeoned by the, the reality that you haven't done it yet. You haven't fi- figured out the thing. Well, but I think that just simple, like, like you know, you, we, as humans, we are, we, we are conditioned or condition ourselves to accept the reality around us. Do you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to convince ourselves this is okay you'll get used to it very very quickly it's surprising and sometimes it's not okay you know what i mean and so your standard for happiness can be very different right and if and i happened to be in a job that offered me a lot of creative stimulation because i was i was i was reading the works of of people that i thought were great and bringing them to marketplace and a lot of fun because selling books means in, in, in New York in the 90s, when mm-hmm. there was still a publishing industry, mm-hmm. meant going to restaurants and eating and drinking. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there were, there were publishing parties, and I could get to be around a literary scene that I found to be exciting and fun, but yes. I didn't have the drudgery of having to create something to literally be a part of it. Right. You, know? you hijacked in. Plus, I was working in a beautiful office, and they didn't care when I came or went. And there were, It sounds there, great. There's a beautiful wood-paneled You're old like a brownstone. It's a professor, but you don't have any classes. Oh, yeah. Well, I've always wanted to be a, like a professor emeritus. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's exactly what it just feels like. like. Sit, just like sit in a le- leather wing, wing chair and yes. just be adored yes. and never have to do anything. Yes, That's, that's kind of what it feels like. I'm sure you had to do a lot of work, but I mean, like, it there, sounds nice. There was, but I got to take a lot of naps, too. <laughs> It was like Mad Men. It was a little like it was like it was like you know twenty three year old Mad Men, right? Except you were Pete Campbell and you were done. You were kind of doing a bunch of things. You were schmoozing and you were doing the work yourself. I w- well, no. The reason that I realized I was unhappy was that I was not honestly doing any of it. I was, it was all a distraction technique to not to not write, you know, not uh. cre- create stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is what I really wanted to do. But writing, despite what Steve Martin says. Is not is not easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's hard. No, you know? it sounds horrible. I, I, well, and it's like any creative endeavor. I mean, the, the, the I don't know. Do, do you find doing comedy to be easy? No, no, no. It's, it's excruciating, but it's also the greatest thing in the world. Right. It's, exactly. Great. Right. Right. It's like it is. It is the most. You know, writing and and now writing, writing is the hardest thing that I do. Mm-hmm. I don't. I will avoid it at all costs. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Uh, using years of work in an office to avoid having to write, right? Uh, because because not- your brain is smart, it knows it's avoiding pain. Yeah, and it, it doesn't want to gain pleasure. I it, don't mean to be so uh, motivational speaker here, but it's easier to avoid pain, right? Than and but and and there is pain involved. I mean, and the thing is, it's not that hard. You right. know what I mean? It's not digging a ditch, right? It's not working at the paper mill. But also, don't you sometimes envy digging a ditch? But the the reason, yes, because digging a ditch requires no self. 
examination. Right. That's or what I want to put to you is the idea that like I'm burdened. The burden for me of being a creative person or in a creative field, I suppose. There are a lot of creative people that aren't in creative fields. I just mean like doing it for a living. Yeah. And, and kind of just ha- having that be my natural state is the constant temperature taking. And I know as a writer, you must know that. What is the conditions that I need I to... usually do a, a, a rectal thermometer check. <laughs> it's every underrated. Th- every 35 minutes. It's so much more accurate. It's yeah. slower. There's a little bit of intimacy. You know I belong to a special religion, right? <laughs> I wish you did. I really wish you did. I would sign up. A lot of my creative process involves doing constant taking a rectal thermometer, yes. taking temperature of my uh, core temperature regulation you, what is, is critical. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I do sense depth tanks yeah, of course. three times a week. I'm sad that I know what you meant by that immediately. <laughs> three times a week, a sensory deprivation tank. Yes, that's and exactly. Rectal, and do you do the rectal thermometer in the sensory deprivation I, tank? I do massive doses of vitamin E. I hope so. Uh, I hit myself with an EpiPen. Uh <laughs> Twice a day. <laughs> Two times a day. Yep. Aggressive adrenaline shots. Yeah. <laughs> no this no is not, need. This isn't for my creative health. This is for my spiritual health. I understand. You understand what I'm saying? Can I tell you something, though? I am the, the, the most – my brain type. Like if we, if we were living in a, a slightly more sophisticated age where you could really slice open my brain and keep me alive and stuff, I think I am – That's I, possible. I could put you in touch with some people. I bet you could. No. I'm the kind of guy that even when you give me a phony baloney list, I'm kind of like, I wonder if any of that would work. They take my yeah. temperature more well, because Well, because you, you – uh, you like me, I think. Yes. Seek constant self improvement. That's exactly right. And the fixing of what is wrong with us. What is wrong? I yeah. can't. I, okay, I'm not going to make this about me. I, I want to put this to you about. I doubt that. <laughs> You've listened to the show before. Then the, the idea. I've known you for some time. I've I had... love. I love talking about you well, because. Because I'm talking about me when I'm talking about you. Well, that's right. I, I really am going to put this back to you. But the idea is, so people that listen to the show know that I had this small car accident. And therefore, I had this, like, tiny concussion. Yeah. And since then, all I do, like a Chapter 5, fucking... Tiny Concussion. <laughs> I don't even see them coming. <laughs> so, much of, so much of writing is just figuring out chapter titles. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. That's fine. I'm dying. I gave you phlegm. Put a, I know. put a pin in your phlegm. I already have phlegm written down. Put a second pin. pin in phlegm. Okay, that's two pins. <laughs> I just draw two lines. <laughs> I, I I can't stop thinking about those. I uh, I'll give you this example. So I had this concussion. So since then, first of all, weirdos have been really wonderful. Fans of the show have been sure. writing in. I had a concussion, and this is what I did, and this is what I did, and I do all of it. Whatever. I've, I've never had a concussion. <clears throat> I'm not even sure. You, do you know why? Tell me. Because I'm careful. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to my throat? Uh, uh, so I had this concussion, had a bit of brain fog, a little bit of uh, mm, linguistic. Sorry. It's okay. It's it's going to be okay. But like it's a weird thing. And then all I do is focus on it. Like all I do is think about how I can improve myself. So, yeah. And I'm the kind of guy that's going to go to a chiropractor. I go to an acupuncturist, yeah. uh, dietary, all this sort of stuff. I had my uh, mercury amalgam removed. I was like, maybe that'll help. Oh, you mean from your teeth? Like from your, my teeth? your fillings? I actually yeah. do think it helped, but it's not helping – that thing that okay yeah. that being what i just said do you feel that in all your creative endeavors being like what is the best john to do his work and to get himself to that next level of creativity that you want to be at like what is the meal that i have what is the sleep that i have what about the relationship with my family or- i will say this about creativity yeah the meal that you have the sleep that you have the relationship with the family that you have breathing 
drinking, yes. doing anything other than writing is all procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. There is no ritual that enhances creativity other than starting. Yeah. And that and that it's I only know that from the past two years. It took you a long time to get there. Yeah. And, and I learned it f- recently, and not to plagiarize, but from Linda Barry, the cartoonist, mm. who has, has really made a big point of openly discussing procrastination and, and, the, and, the, and the difficulty of being creative. Mm. And she does have a ritual when she starts cartooning. You know Linda Barry, Ernie Fuchs comique, famous, famous... Um, cartoonist look it up l-y-n-d-a space todd barry's wife todd barry's estranged wife those are great actually hey man actually the the ex-girlfriend of someone we have been discussing really i'll leave that as a mystery as a mystery (laughs) chapter five six you're getting close (laughs) so she talks about And and good friend of uh matt groening oh and and, and, sort of, and they came up together, okay, doing alternative comics. And she's a genius, mm. and genius com- com- uh, comic writer and, and illustrator. We should. We're in the store. We should go. You should go, go show me one of her. All books. right. So inside this store, there's probably done. a book by her called Five Hundred Demons, mm-hmm. which is her com. It's illustrated book about creativity. Oh, and one of the things that she says is that you know, for her, she she won't. St- she will have the same problems that anyone has by getting started writing. Like you will do anything to avoid sitting down mm-hmm. and, and writing. Mm-hmm. And so her ritual is, is merely to trick her into doing those things, which is she forces herself to sit down and then she just gets a pencil and a piece of paper and just starts moving the pencil on the paper. Hmm. Just like moving the hands. Right. Making nonsense. And, what she finds is that it's it's like a warm up exercise if you are physical in any way, which I am not. Mm-hmm. But everything that you think was impossible and incredibly hard starts to relax. The muscles start to relax mm-hmm. once you just get that going. It's like your brain is remembering, oh yeah, I can do this. I can move that hand around, mm-hmm. and eventually that hand is going to start making things that are coherent and make a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. And I thought about this for a while. And talked to a lot of people about it, and really uh, give it gave it some serious consideration, all as an effort to not write. <laughs> and then one day I sat down. I'm like, "What if I just started typing nonsense words?" <laughs> and it was really uh, unbelievable how quickly I was able to get out of town to to change to change track and be in a in a creative frame of mind. Shut your mouth. You just, just to start type. Just to start. Not typing. even words. Gobbledygook. Just bu- 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 you got the murmurs. Now we need some shouts. Ah! <laughs> I did it! Ah, that was terrifying. <laughs> People were falling I blew, asleep. I blew listening out. To I blew out. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, no. It was perfect. Yeah. Why did this? <laughs> I People who it. are mad because I had hijacked your uh, your your podcast into NPR land. 
<laughs> no, no, I love it. I wish we were an NPR land. People just thought I laughed. That's all they thought. Uh, <laughs> so you just had hang me- on. I brought up some flimp. Okay. Oh, gross. <coughs> oh, gross. Really um, gross. It is gross. It's, no, it's disgusting. No, no, it's disgusting. Our bodies are disgusting. Our bodies are disgusting. I was talking about that recently. I, w- I was next to a woman in a. First of all, I'm not going to tell this. I'm going to tell the story real fast, but then I want to talk about what you just talked about. Sure. She was eating a burrito in the movie theater, which is gross. Uh, because it smells like everybody's smelling this burrito, which is weird. Because if you were in a burrito shop, you'd be like, "Smell those burritos!" <laughs> like you'd want one. Yeah, but you're in a movie theater, so you know you it's can't gross. have one. And you're not, you're outside just, food in a movie theater is no good. It's no good. And yeah. she's eating it, and she and then she ate it, and everyone's smelling it, and then she finished it, and then I was like, "It's weird that we all think that the burrito is gone." You know, and people would. My friend even said, "Like, I'm glad that burrito's gone." Really, the burrito isn't gone. It's just inside of her. She's storing it. She's yeah. She's meat refrigeratoring it, and it's sealed. Her fucking epiglottis is shut, so the smell is in her now. Right. Bodies are gross. That's why burps are gross. They're little betrayals <laughs> of how fucking disgusting and insane it is that we're holding around. Like Ugh, this it's gross down here. That's exactly, that's exactly oh, right. Yeah, yeah. The little manhole cover opens and the guy goes, you don't want to see what's down here. Yeah, exactly. And some of the smell comes out. It's yeah. disgusting. I love what you just said. I can't believe this is a free podcast because that's invaluable. I thought you were going to say that the idea... I've also Well, people heard, should go buy Linda Barry's books because like most alternative comic strip artists yes there's no place to publish alternative comic strips anymore so everyone's struggling so go buy her books as a there used to be like uh zines and such well there used to be alternative weeklies in every city right and they had lots and lots of comics and right the, in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s but they're those they're gone the online market just ruined it there is no like selling them to websites and stuff um, I have these conversations with someone. Uh, you know, you should talk to Tom tomorrow about this Who's political that? cartoonist. Okay. okay. Um, but n- n- yeah, you can't. A lot of the New Yorker guys I know, they're all trying to figure out the way to like monetize that sort of online thing. But it the, seems the, really the, hard. The, the one panel cartoonist. One panel cartoonist. But the problem is, is you can get everything for free. Every yeah. cartoon has been scanned and it's online and let's, you can steal let's it. Let's face it, everybody. Can... The one panel cartoon is like, out. It's been out for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Kind you know, of a weird. Do you know what I mean? I do know what you yeah. mean. Like they're, I, they're basically in in the in the cartoonist the the New Yorker style cartoonists. They're like the the Amish of cartoonists. <laughs> do you know? There's one protected enclave where they can practice their antique way of life. Oh my god! That is so good. But I mean, they're you know, the Amish of cartoons. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. You and, know, I've been. I, I, I've had four cartoons of that. But I stopped. But yeah. I know what you're talking about. It was a different reality. It was right. a lot of like older gentlemen that ca- took the train in from Connecticut. Now, there's also like a lot of younger guys that are trying to keep sure. it alive. But there, what you said is exactly how it felt. It felt like a weird church that we all met well, at. Well, there's only one. I mean, there's maybe. I mean, the only other market that I can think of for one panel cartoons is Playboy. Playboy, yeah. Right? And I think. I think they could tell you a couple others. And but Playboy no itself, I haven't looked at a, at a Playboy in a long time, but they were very nice and excerpted portions of my last book. That is all now available in paperback and audiobook. <laughs> but they, oh, audiobook. Oh, that's oh, a lot of reading. Well, I had some other people help me. But, you did? Yeah. But they excerpted por- portions of the book in Playboy. It was the first time I looked at one, and I felt like I was looking at, and I was not against, I was in favor of Playboy, yes. but I felt like. I was looking at 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 a, a time capsule, a yeah, magazine yeah, from yeah. a time capsule. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
It should have been in the hatch from Lost. The fact that it is a magazine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. A glossy naked lady. Yeah. And then like little editorials and interviews to class it up. You classed it up. It was really. You classed up the stroke. And, you know, one panel cartoons. And 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 they get the full page. And it's thick. And there's a a big front of the book section. And smells. There are smells. Like there's colognes in there. That's what I I bought. uh, I I recommend this, actually. I went on eBay and bought. I've talked about this before. I've talked about everything before. We passed a threshold. Hold. I've said everything. Yeah, I've said everything I have to say. Well, luckily, there's no new element to this conversation that could bring anything you, new. You are a funny man. <laughs> I am just on your property, and you shoot your shotgun in the air every once in a while. Kapow! And you remind me murmur, that murmur, I'm on murmur. your land. Yeah, bangs and murmurs. Well, just the idea. I want to see what you say. I bought a Playboy from my youth. Because I was like, that'll be interesting. So I bought it, and the first yeah. thing that really made it worth it was that it had the same cologne inserts, and I smelled oh, it. Yeah. And I mean, like, if it had been a movie, it would have been that transfiguration. It's I true. You back. can't. I mean, there is something. There, there is that smell of cologne samples. Yeah. Yes. You can't smell you can't, the internet. You can't smell the internet. <laughs> not, not yet, anyway. Not until my startup goes public. This is a free podcast. You don't have to pay for it. You you can't smell you can't the internet. Smell the internet. That's yeah. why I bring it up again because yeah. you say you can't smell the internet. Uh, yeah, I. It's interesting. I had I had a similar like one of the one of the big so one of the big influences in my life was a article. I'm trying to remember what it was now. It was a it was a profile of Thomas Pynchon. Mm-hmm. Author of the Crying of Lot Forty Nine and V. I have no, I know so little. V oh. is the reptile aliens. Uh, and he, that was that was the miniseries that was not based on the Thomas Pynchon novel. <laughs> oh God, v. I'm just out of my depth. Crying of Lot Forty Nine is a really so Thomas Pynchon is a very famous literary novelist. Everyone who knows that is still laughing at me, thinking it was the reptile people. Keep going. <laughs> no, I think a lot of people have made that error. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of people have secretly hoped that it was going to be based on Thomas Pynchon's V. I've never read V. I have. I'm not. I've not read a lot of Pynchon, uh, but he's famous for, in, in, in like, really kind of ground groundbreaking, um, uh, almost semi surreal American novels mm. with weird stuff that happened in them, somewhat satirical. Um, emotionally very true, often very long. V is a very, very long novel. Hmm. And also for his personal seclusion, he does not come out of his house a lot or his apartment on the Upper West Side. That was what he was famous for, among among being a great writer. Crying a Lot 49 is, was one of those brain-reforming uh, cultural experiences for me because it's a, it's a, a novel about a, a, a woman who discovers that there is a secret postal service in the United States. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, and, 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 and is living in the midst of a, a dozen invisible conspiracies. Oh. And, uh, and everywhere – I mean, it's like as I recount this, it's – you know, it, it, talk about plagiarism. Do you know what I mean? It's like as I recount this, I'm, re- I'm realizing how much stuff I stole – Right. From crying a lot, forty nine, right? To spin into jokes for the areas of my expertise and the and all those. Oh, other like books. the like the fifty first state, like uh, the fifty first state. That there, that there is a secret. There is a secret being history funny about it, right? Well, no, he's very comic. I mean, like it's it's you know it's not sit down laugh out loud, mm-hmm. but but very comic. And uh, David Foster Wallace was sort of in the legacy of uh, of of Thomas Pynchon. And mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. Uh, the, it's funny, right? As well as being. Cool and interesting. And, what does the and, Secret Postal Service do? 
They were well. Now you're testing my memory, but there, <laughs> you would see a you would see a muted post horn, uh-huh. uh, written on the sides of buildings where there would be secret see, drops. I, I love that yeah. stuff. That's fun. And and it, it went back to the century. Excuse me. I just I just rushed that. I love that we're we're humans and we can gesture to the heavens and talk all these literary things, but also we just hit microphones. Yeah, and, just, like, and if you look to the <laughs> look to the sky and the profound statement I'm trying to make. Sorry, I just dropped the mic. What is the funniest one of those in history? Like General Washington funniest? giving it some huge speech, and there's just something that, like, he drops his his periscope or his telescope. Oh uh, yeah, his there's... fake his fake teeth fall out. <laughs> yes, that happened. He something far- like that happened. George Washington farted. I have a bit about that. Everyone had diarrhea. Chapter Jesus. six. George Washington had diarrhea. Jesus of Nazareth was a fully human and fully God, and fully human means licking right. shit sometimes. It had to happen. It happened for yeah. the whole experience. So, stay on your secret conspiracy book. Change oh, your cultural Tom- perspective. Well, why was I talking about Thomas Pin? Oh, yeah. Well, you know that I- that idea of scrawled secret messages came back to hobo symbols, which I had read about, like in a highlights magazine at some point, yes, and then yes. became this whole secret history. That was right in front of us, but that we chose not to see it. And it's like, that that's all plagiarized, I suppose, sure. from Thomas Pynchon. But I brought up Pynchon for a particular reason. Oh, right. So there's a profile of Thomas Pynchon by a guy whose girlfriend uh, threw him over for Thomas Pynchon. Mm. So it was this weird profile of a genius slash sexual jealousy piece. Probably 10,000 words in Playboy magazine. <laughs> From 1978, because I because my friend Jay Evans and I had discovered in the 90s a place in Cambridge that just sold soda and Playboys from the 70s, like boxes and boxes and boxes of antique Playboys. And it was it was it was going in there was literally like unlocking. I can't say it was a part of my brain that I'd forgotten because I never read playboy in the 70s yes but it was an incredibly interesting portal into into what mainstream culture was oh, you're making me want to read old magazines i love it do you know what i mean I like love, the things that they were yes. there was a huge huge so you know my the 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 person i steal from the most in 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 my creative endeavors is the argentine short story writer jorge luis borges mm-hmm. because he would write these stories that pretended to be academic articles, but they were short stories about impossible things, mm-hmm. like a guy who attempted to write Don Quixote word for word, exactly as Cervantes wrote it, but originally, <laughs> and mm-hmm. to arrive at the same text through his own experience. Wow. And he, but unfortunately, that's so absurd. It was I love in, it. it. It was absurd and impossible, and that's why he only finished two chapters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and you know, when I discovered Borges, <laughs> that is I was so really, funny. I was really into serious short story writing. I thought that was going to be my calling because I loved, I loved the stuff that I was reading. And also I knew that I would never have the patience to write a novel. Right. And I discovered Borges and, and I was like, this guy's funny. Yeah. yeah like yeah, this yeah, guy's yeah. playing games. Yes. And it's okay. Right. Like that kind of playfulness. Right. Is what excited Academic me the most. Academic playfulness. 
academic or literary. Yeah, literary. But, you know, it's like, fine. just yeah. like everyone get over yourselves. This right, is a right, funny right. idea, right? Right, like, right, right, right. Obviously kind of rarefied. It reminds me but, of just some But guy. you laughed at, he wrote two chapters. I mean, that's I the so... joke of Pierre Menard, author of Don Quixote. Well, that to me is, is you know, that's a Simpsons joke. That, that is right. a more pedestrian, uh, Simpsons, I'm saying Simpsons is p- pedestrian. Of course, it's everything. It's it's everything it wants to be. At right. times, when Mr. Burns has the a, a hundred monkeys and a hundred typewriters and right. he reads, it was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. That's the same joke. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. Like yes. that he even got He's saying that Borges ripped off the Simpsons. I'm saying the Simpsons. Yeah, no, I got you. <laughs> ripped off no, Borges. No, I feel you. You know what it is, and the feeling of all of this to me is the guy at some party, and the party's a little stuffy, and that, right. that we're going to say is the literary world, and it's taking people a while to figure out that that guy's joking. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. oh, he knows he's being funny. Right. And I love people like that in your life, where you're like, he's saying these weird things, but if you're the guy that figures out the secret, yeah. and the code, it's yeah. a fun little club to belong to and be right like, of course he's joking nobody wrote like two chapters of don quixote but borges was the subject of a huge article in a pornographic magazine yeah, 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 yeah. and like that's what i discovered like already a borges fanatic and i randomly pick up a 1979 playboy that's out crazy. of the back of this pornography shop in cambridge yeah i wish because I, because I liked the eyes of the woman on the cover or whatever sure, sure, sure. and i open it up with almost I mean, that's another thing that Pynchon talks about is coincidence and how there is no such thing. And I open it up to this huge piece on Borges, and I'm like, in, right. you know, amidst stereo reviews, yeah. Seagram 7's ads. And grow your own weed. And grow your own weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it was, I was like, wow, what what a, you know. How, well, what do you make of that? Because there was a vogue in, in American culture in the 70s of being sophisticated. Sure. That we no longer have. I, I agree with you. Uh, Norman Mailer isn't being in the teen Cosmo lately. Right, exactly. But the idea that um, – I'm fascinated with what you just said. The idea of coincidences and stuff is something that's very interesting to me. The two Playboys that I bought from my youth um, – and, you know, look – I can so feel, you went back to ones that you had that you remembered that I ha- that I shoplifted. Right. I bought it and I have it. Shoplifting I shoplifted. Playboys. Yeah, I did. Me and my friend. Oakley. I thought you said you were a good kid like me. Well, I had a, I had an accomplice, and I just made the distraction. You had a bad influence. What I did was I asked. I hid the Game Pro magazine, and then I went up to the counter at the corner store in Lexington, in the center, and I said, "Do you have Game Pro magazine?" And he was like, "I think we do." And he came. There's one guy. He came right. up to the counter, right. and then Opie would go back and grab a Playboy. Uh, See, we were bad kids, but we got Playboy. Which is like tasteful. Like we could have gotten club and really yeah, maybe blown our dicks maybe you, maybe you just wanted some advice on how to set up your quadraphonic <laughs> stereo set. I did. I wanted to get that surround sound at the Hollywood Bowl sound at home. Yeah. But uh, in that, so I have these two issues of Playboy, and it's a, it's it's similar. One of them is an interview with David Letterman. Yeah. Okay. So sure. I'm like, what the fuck? Like I'm I'm I love David Letterman. I love David Letterman at the time, but I was getting it for the boobies, not even the eyes, right. the chest eyes, and <laughs> that's what I call boobies. <laughs> 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 she got a nice set of I just plagiarized your laugh. <laughs> I loved it. And you, and, you, and you can have it. Two, uh, the other one had the ladies of comedy. Okay? Sure. And it was female comedians in New York. And, like, it had them naked. And then on the other page, it had them performing at Stand Up New York, a club that some 10 years later I would be performing at. Yeah. Fucking insane. Yeah. Like, that's enough for me to be like, this is crazy town. Yeah. I sometimes just feel like my my life is novel, like not like I feel like I'm inside of a book. Sure, it's so obvious. An right. outsider would be like, Pete, it's 
obvious. Look at the magazines you were reading as a kid. Yeah. When I was 14, 13, 14 you write years your, old. You're writing your own novel. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, you're, you're curating experiences that will seem prophetic to you when you look back at them that's later. exactly right yeah. well how many magazines did i have that didn't have any of that shit in it you know what i mean i suppose right. but it is a little weird that i went back and got those so it's everything what that coincidence well, you're drawn you're drawn to certain things and you know i was uh i'm 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 counting the the minutes now until i go with my wife and children uh to maine yes um, where we have started going more and more because she has family there and we have friends there now. It's gorgeous. It's lovely. It's Vacation mm-hmm. Land USA. <laughs> so 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 dubbed before America had conquered actual beaches. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like so let's funny. let's go up to Maine and take the air and 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 walk on the painful beach. <laughs> it was a, they called it too early. Yeah, <laughs> they called it way too early. They didn't go south. Yeah, they didn't know that there was a Florida yet. They didn't know That's there was right. an Outer Banks. Did you ever? Do you ever go real far north and get yourself some uh, polio? I'm talking about like where FDR was, and uh, and uh, I don't want polio. Yeah, you got to get some polio. <laughs> no, but they they thought he, he caught it up there. Oh, he thought they thought he caught polio up in Maine, yeah, in yeah, northern yeah. Maine, from the really cold water, like right by Canada. Oh, very. No, I think that's though. an infection. I don't think that's. Oh no, no, by, we know that that's yeah, not. But true. But they thought right. Yeah, but you can go where they thought he. Got no, it. Maine, Maine beaches though are designed to inflict pain and punishment, <laughs> and, and I guess polio on humans. <laughs> Yes. But I'm go why am I why did I start that? Maine, we're talking about Playboy, you're drawn to certain things. Oh right. And so I was in Maine minutes. I was in Maine a couple of years ago at a at a at a friend's house. It was actually it was in two thousand eight. Mm. And uh, uh, a, a a friend was holding a, a, a fundraiser for Obama. Mm-hmm. And I went. And see that's what my brain just said. He's holding a fundraiser for Obama and my brain goes, How tightly? <laughs> like it's not it's not even like it making pretty, a let me, joke. Let me tell you, Pete, it was a pretty tight fundraiser, you know what I mean? It was like it was popping off. Pretty chill. There were some past hors d'oeuvres up yeah, in there, yeah, yes, you know what yes, I mean? Yes. Like definitely some prosecco. <laughs> oh, I like it a little prosecco. Domestic prosecco. <laughs> yes, all right. So sorry to interrupt, you're at the some fundraiser. Checks were being written and handed over. <laughs> checks mix. And I turned, yeah, oh, put a pin in Chex Mix. Uh, I recently had an experience with Chex Mix that I don't like to buzz market brands, but. I'm writing down Chex Mix. There's one, uh, there's something beautiful about the fact that there was a cereal that some smart, presumably woman, figured out that you could mix with nuts and. And just call it. And pretzels. Chex-Mix. And then add a thousand pounds of salt and MSG to it. I was it. just going to say an MSG. Yeah. And then. Uh, and then, oh, I'm sorry, I, I stepped on your joke. No, just my facts. <laughs> don't step on my facts. I just remember I don't eat Chex Mix anymore because it's like the third ingredient is MSG. Fuck you, Chex Mix. You're fucking us up. I don't <laughs> give a shit. I'll take a stance against Chex I'm gla- Mix. I'm glad. That's a bold stance. Yeah. Oh, well, anyway, so I'm in Maine. <laughs> rocking the Chex Mix. Yes. And at this fundraiser, I see, I see uh, two people that I went to college with. Yes. Now, you recall that I was educated at Yale University and accredited four-year college in Southern Connecticut. You have the dull wit of a Yalian. Exactly so. <laughs> it's, from, it's from The Simpsons. <laughs> you have the boorish wit of a Yalian. Dull, I think the dull... The <laughs> and then the, bro- <laughs> the razor dull wit of a man who went to Yale. And then also yeah. American Psycho where he goes, uh, you know, he's a part of that whole Yale thing. And then he goes, what do you mean? And, and he says something, something, something closeted homosexual that Yale thing yeah I don't know anything about Yale except from what I've learned from movies I think that's all that Yale knows about Yale (laughs) (laughs) 
Yale, I mean, it's a very – I just went to my reunion and I was reminded what a, what a constructed environment it is. I mean, it was literally built in order to resemble Cambridge and Oxford to uh-huh. the point that they when – they, when they built it, they buried the, the, the roof tiles – of the of the different buildings underground for months to age them. No. And then they went around breaking panes in the windows so that they could re- re- repair them with with lead. Oh my. Do you know Jesus. because that's how you would, how how you, it, And they sold all the books in tea and yeah. burnt the edges. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> they put cobwebs in every room. It's the magic kingdom of colleges <laughs> that in many is ways great. because and like not only did they repair so when I say repair them with Lead. You have to imagine an old timey, like Oxford style, multi paned window. Yeah. Like maybe ten panes in the window. Yes. And you and they and if one broke, you would put the pieces back together and sort of mend them together with poured lead. So you'd see a big seam. Yes, Do you know what I mean? Of course. Or and sometimes a branching seam. And at Yale, if you ever go and visit there, you will see that they the, there are these broken repaired things. They were broken on purpose, repaired on purpose. All the seams form a Y for Yale. No, it's truly like the hidden Mickey's oh in my Disneyland of, of, and this is why I went. And the hidden, like when uh, I was on the tour, I was like, I, "That I'm, this is where I went. I don't care what you're teaching." That sounds exact. That sounds like something you would make up. Uh, yeah, well, I That's mean, a hundred percent sounds like something from one of your books. I I drew a lot of. I mean, I often feel like, am I alienating people because I'm I'm dropping all this Ivy League comedy <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah, but in general, but oh. you know, like it's it's a crazy. It's it was one of the most important places in my life, and I met people that still inspire me today. Jonathan Colton and I be, became friends there, and, mm-hmm. and he's still a huge collaborator and spot and inspiror of me. I guess that's a word. Mm. But at Sterling Memorial Library is this beautiful old library that's that's built to look like a cathedral. And on top of the library is a scale model of the library. <laughs> it's a little mo- they took they took the building, shrunk it down a hundred times, and yes. put it on top of the building. Is there a tinier one on top of that, like the Land O'Lakes lady? I that is what I described in my book. That you it just it's an infinite regression. Uh, it was like I just want to make sure I have no readers, so I'm going to go on this uh, yes. branch for a while. That is perfect. That is cool. I like that sort of stuff. So I'm in Maine, yes, and I see, some, I see some people who, whom I knew in college yes. that I had not seen for many years, and it turns out they're now married, and they have a child, and it's really nice to see each other. And I'm like, you, do you also come to Maine? They're like, yeah, well, I've always come to Maine. I'm like, wow, that's great. Well, it's great to see you. And, and my friend from college, she says... Uh, yeah, well, it's really weird to run into you here sort of so randomly. I'm like, yeah, what a coincidence. Two white people who went to Yale meet again in Blue Hill, Maine at an Obama fundraiser. Yeah. What are the chances? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are the chances yeah. that that's going to happen? That's not so magical. And since then, I, it's like anytime someone says, I can't believe you're here. It's like uh, in the back of my head, I was like, yeah, it's a small world among white people who went to college. Right, right, like, right, right. That is, per- that is very funny. But So does that mean you don't put much stock in coincidences or, or what? Do you think it's all I, nothing? I mean, I think I think they are literally coincidences, the, uh, a, a coincidence of Did events. You, well, you must have listened to that NPR about uh, this American life. I mean, about coincidences. Uh, I don't think that I did. It's a, it's pretty, isn't that isn't that a coincidence that 
that in itself is a coincidence. It was all right. There's there's a lot of there's a lot, the only one that really stuck out was there was a woman who was working as a cashier at a grocery store wrote on a dollar bill right. uh, her name right. and she said to herself if I get this dollar bill back that'll be the guy I'm supposed to marry and on a date the guy paid with that dollar bill right. she had written some sort of code on it so I mean like that happens but I I, I get and it. did she marry the guy they got married right yeah. but I mean you know so. That's an amazing story. Right. It's not impossible that that bill would come back to her. Sure. When you break it down, it's not like, well, you know, I, whenever I get paper money in change from places, I immediately mail it to another part of the country (laughs) to keep that bill out of circulation in the local area. But that's me. I think most people tend to spend (laughs) their money in the same town where they get it. Do you know what I mean? You mail your money. Money to another part of the world or yeah. the country. Well, I have money. I have money swap pals. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? In different parts yeah. of the country, you get fifty one. Yeah, and you send I'll them fifty one. Dear Cash Pal, how are you? I am fine. Today I bought a Coke, that, a Coke Zero, and that keeps and, it circulating. And, yeah, and what fresh. It, yeah, please send me. Please send me your change. Keep in touch. Well, and you're also making a valid point: <laughs> is that. That dollar bill probably stayed somewhat local. I mean, yeah, like, and and you know, like, um, and then of course she had said to herself, "I'm going to marry the person who presents this thing back to me." Right. And this poor guy, all he wanted to do was rent another video, or you <laughs> right, know, like right, 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 right. buy a pack of gum. Right. He didn't know that he was entering into someone else's. There is storyline. There's some line in that's very telling where they asked him if they're happy, and they're like, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> there's like yeah. a telling pause or something. And that's the yeah, thing that I'm... haunts me all the time. You know, I'm I'm married to someone that I that I met in high school. Oh, really? Yeah. Get and, out of here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've, you've offended me. I, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I guess I deserve that. You're, you're right. You met your wife in high school. Yeah. So we, and, and we became, she had moved to Brookline from Atlanta. Yes. Her name is Catherine. Uh, and she had moved to, and, and I liked her a lot. And we were, we were running around together in a group of nerdy friends, <laughs> a mixed, a mixed sex group of nerdy friends who oh, are. That's few, a rare sighting. The mixed sex nerd group. Oh well, no. It's it's the rare mixed sex nerd group where the nerds are not furiously having sex with each other. That's right. That's a special nerd herd where yeah. they're definitely fucking. Oh yeah, all yeah, yeah, so yeah. gross. And we in high school, me, me and my friends, yes, like we 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 were in the wood between the worlds. Do you know what I mean? Like we weren't we weren't the popular kids, and we certainly weren't jocks or whatever. Do you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we were yeah. like smart smarty pantses, movie likers, right? N- you know, non sports people or whatever, and we took. A dumb, not dumb pride, but we were like, we definitely differentiated ourselves from the kids who wore leather vests and rolled dice all during lunch. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And looking back, it was like, we, we, were, we were in this pure, because all we were were neurotic. Do you know what I mean? Like, we were right. in this pure asexual zone yes. because we were just terrified to say to each other, I like you. Do you know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. Whereas the, the popular people were off hugging and kissing all the time. Right. And the nerds over there at the, at the uh, RPG table yes. were, uh, were doing unspeakable acts Rolling at the Ren Fair all the time. Yeah, 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 Do you yeah. know what I mean? Putting the foam on the sword, if you know what I mean. <laughs> So my you're... laugh indicates that I do know what you mean. <laughs> so you're in between, and you know you know Catherine then, yeah, and as so, a child. 
I, well, we're both children. Seventeen year olds, I guess. And then she she was a year older than me. Graduated. Still is. We uh, she still is, and that's just that's why our marriage works. <laughs> we uh, we dated, and then we started. We we sort of realized that we liked liked each other the In summer after oh, she okay. gra- was graduated. Oh, and so it was long distance throughout. And then she, she went to a different college. Uh-huh. She went to uh, Bryn Mawr, which is a, 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 a very prestigious school of witchcraft and wizardry outside of <laughs> Philadelphia. <laughs> and they it, buried the whole school. And we were both, and and you know we were long distance, and we can and 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 sometimes, and when we were together during college, we were together essentially once a month on letters and. That's it, because there's no internet. Yes. Like written, handwritten letters and phone calls. Do you still have these letters? Of course. Oh. Um, and then, but then there were times when we were not together at all and thought we would never be back together. And then we ended up, after college, moving to New York, and we we're basically together and, and since then. So it wasn't like, you didn't like break up, it just kind of like... No, we broke up a couple of times. Oh, you did times. break up, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. But we got back together. So during those times, you, you like during college, you just like weren't necessarily... Well, I realized that, you know, I, I'm a good... I'm, I'm not... One of the things that being an only child didn't train me for was that confrontation is okay. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and that's why I was such a terrible negotiator on behalf of my clients when I was a literary agent and why I had to get out. One of the reasons I had to. You mean you would just – Because simple sort of like I want this right. saying, I want this, and the other person possibly saying no thank you right. was just terrifying to right, me. Right, right, Because I had not been trained – through simple sibling rivalry, or for that matter, as a guy who who loathes not loathes but has no interest in sports, mm-hmm. like sports does train you to understand you can get into a fight, even a sort of ritualized fake fight with someone, right, 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 and it won't you won't die, right? But I I ended up being deeply shy, sure. you know, on a on 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 emotional level. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was afraid, I, I just didn't understand that you could say to someone, I would like to kiss you. Sure. And if that person said no, that it wouldn't be the end of the w- world. Do you right. know what I mean? So, Or you could fight someone in a hockey game. Or you could fight later, someone in a hockey game and later hug them. Right, right, right. I still have a hard time with that. I do too. In I fact, mean, that's why I don't like sports. We have that in that, that was what, just to bring it back to the only child thing, what I realized was all those years I was saying, you're crazy for saying I was sad. I was sad. I mean, I was sad. Mm. Because I I was afr- I was afraid of any kind of danger like any any level of uncertainty in a in a relationship or a confrontation was uh, 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 neurotic to me mm-hmm. and similarly any kind of transgression I was afraid that I was going to betray the the image that I had created of myself as the responsible young man who lives with these older people in this house is Chestnut Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. My older roommate. Well, you think if you had like a sibling, maybe you could have gotten some of those fights out of the way. I think so. Yeah. And so, you know, the, 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 I'm, I think about all of those things in terms of like, I, oh, I lost my train of thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, about, about coincidence. Mm-hmm. You know, we, all of us find our life partners. We don't, well, until the internet, we don't go on a global search, right? Do you know what I mean? Right. It's just the magazines in the soda store. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I am lucky beyond belief that I found the person that I truly am in love with and is my best friend mm. early on, mm-hmm. and tr- and truly, she w- she was 
you know, she was a dollar bill mailed from another place because mm-hmm. she came from another. She wasn't didn't grow up in Brookline very easily. But, you know, ev- eventually we're going to choose our friends and partners in lives based on the people who are around. Right. The people who are giving you that dollar. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when we talk about love, we talk about um, we talk about it in very unrealistic ways. Like I'm go- I got to go out there and find find the person who is right for me in the whole world there might be one person mm. well statistically you know that's impossible right 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 do you know what i mean and you won't it's hard to fall in love with someone who grew up in a completely different place in a completely different culture right do you know right. and more likely you're going to find someone near you whom you just love right do you know well it's weird because there is just that like east coast mentality like i've noticed that certain people like you and i are getting along and we have a lot of the same neuroses and stuff sure i don't know if that's a coincidence that we're both from the same part of the country like there is a little bit of a kinship oh i think so too because the first time i ever came to los angeles as an adult which was only in 2004 Mm -hmm. i was going around here going come on yeah palm trees now yeah 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 like dude in flip-flops right i've never been in a place that so openly embraced its cliches of yes. itself yeah. <laughs> including the cliche that it has no self-knowledge of itself right do you know what i mean don't you feel that way when you go home though when i go home i'm like red Sox jerseys like I, I it looks like a ben affleck movie but the completely unneurotic way that angelinos yes engaged with the cliches of their cities and their of their city and their lifestyle yes i remember feeling profoundly relieved yeah i was like this must be what it's like i feel like apologies move to the left meaning when you live on the east coast you have room for apologies and, and they go out to the left and they, right. and they spread out when you're in california they just go out, out to the, the sea just goes out to the sea yeah. and by the left i mean the west but you right. know what i mean like they're just gone like yeah. they don't care yeah. judge me i say chill i say right. whatever and, and i wear cargo shorts and flip-flops or whatever it is. but i mean it's how do you how do you reconcile and this is the issue of like fate and coincidence and is it real or whatever how do you reconcile the re- the truly magical connections that you that you make in your life, whether it's a a, a spouse or a mm. best friend mm-hmm. uh, or some someone you see uh, or a place that you go, and you and it just completely changes your life and it feels like magic, mm-hmm. right? It feels like out of all the people or places in the world, I get to know you or I get to be around you or whatever. Mm-hmm. With the fact, it's like, yeah, but we all kind of live in the same place. The same dollars are right. circulating around right, right, here. Right. It was statistically likely that you were going to go do this. Once you started doing comedy, it was statistically likely you were going to go do that show at that p- particular place. Right. And once you bought a Playboy that happened to have that place in it, that's what you were going to go, I can't believe this Playboy had this. Right. Whereas if you had become a stereo fanatic, right. you'd be like, I can't believe this Playboy has this ad for this stereo I always wanted right, right, or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. you find you find those patterns in your life and you write a storyline for yourself. Right. And stories are, you know, look, I, we, haven't, we haven't even gone into re- religion. And I've been here. I don't know how you've held off for so long. Ah, I, this is a perfect merging. But you, you know, you, 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 you have a relationship with, with faith, yes. right, that, that, it, that, you, that you explore. Right. It's and an I, exploratory. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and as, as I think all people do, but for those of us who were raised in Brookline, Massachusetts, the, the children of, of lapsed Catholics who, you know, I was not raised in a particular faith. And I was, you know, my mom told me she was an atheist uh, uh, when I was young. 
I think as a way to comfort me from feeling scared of being possessed by the devil because I was in that exorcist wake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that cultural exorcist wake. That was a cultural phenomenon. And I'm not sure that my mom telling me that she, there was no God was exactly the way to comfort me at right. age nine or whatever. Right, right, right. But, you know, the, the the there is a different kind of religion, or there's the, which is the consolation of story. Yeah. Because stories, whether, you know, going going to movies and going to reading books and going to comedy, you know, this is the arrangement of random garbage yes. into meaningful sequence of events that has a satisfying ending. Yeah. And that is everything that our lives lack. <laughs> That's do you know right. what I mean? That's right. Yes, I do know what you mean. Unless we write it into our lives. Right. Which know? we do, which, which we're proving that I did with the Playboys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We construct stories about our lives. And I think there are people like me, and the example that I always use on the show, when I see that I dump all my laundry on the bed and two socks, two disparate socks are together, then I I, I assign meaning to that. Yeah. I really do think there are types of brains that do that more and do that less. Right. And it doesn't make one better than the other. Oh, it's like there are types of brains that, you know, naturally ascribe chapter headings. Right. To different portions of a conversation. Right, right, right. Do you know what I mean? Chapter seven, matching socks. Matching socks. <laughs> the, magic of, the magic of matching socks. Yeah, it's yeah. better. And better. there's also a thin line between seeing those kinds of, those, those kinds of signals and, and coincidences in the world and psychosis. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like being right. psychotic. Is, right. You could go too far. Yeah. You Schizophrenia go- is, is perceiving messages everywhere. Absolutely. In, par- in part. That's right. That's right. Like da- I feel like sometimes I'm dabbling in schizophrenia. <laughs> you yeah, know, I really well, do. Like I'm yeah. just like I think we all are. Yeah. We're certainly all dabbling in uh, delusion, like deluding ourselves yeah. constantly. Yeah. I was having. You know, neither one of us is here right now. <laughs> but isn't that kind of true? <laughs> <laughs> We're no plagiarized laugh. Yeah. Yeah. It feels good, doesn't yeah, it? Know, it wants right. out. Yeah, it wants yeah, out yeah. so badly. But I, I was having a, a conversation with a good friend of mine, and she was talking about. The idea of something in her past being painful that she like doesn't think about anymore. Right. No, nothing really super traumatic. Just something that she'd rather kind of change the narrative. Yeah. I love the movie Memento. The way that he ascribes meaning to his life that he has to find this killer, right. no matter how many times he needs to do it. Right. I, I mean, well, we're all looking like for a old. plot in our lives. Yes, yes, that's right. And mm-hmm. I remember as a kid doing that as well, thinking I was on television before reality shows. Right. And that's, that also sounds – I'm not trying to make light of schizophrenia. That sounds almost like a mental dysfunction is that I was like to cope with it's – all, It's all on a continuum. Yes, okay. Yeah. And I was like, I'm on a show. I'm being watched by God. Like it seemed like a natural extension. Mm-hmm. People tell me God is watching me. Right. Angels are watching me. Right. Okay, well, let's put on a show. Right. They can see me in the bathroom. Right. I'm going to give a monologue. How are you guys mirror. doing tonight? Exactly. Good. All right. Be sure to tip your the devel, the devil. <laughs> the devil asks. <laughs> the devil comes by with deviled eggs. Yeah, That's what he right, does. right. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Please shoot me. Uh, What's but, up with all these babies in limbo? Am I right? <laughs> well, th- so no God for you? No God story for you? I, I, I f- felt tremendous comfort when I learned the term agnostic. Yeah, sure. It's a good one. Because the I being raised outside of religion or, or without any particular – I mean culturally Catholic. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a lot – a, a lot of guilt and fatty foods. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Similar to the Jews. Similar to the Jews. Yeah. And, you know, look, I, in, in all of my extended my, – my, my mom, uh, who, as I say, is no longer living, so I got to use the past tense even though all these people are still alive, mm. uh, had five sisters and a brother, you mm-hmm. know, so, and they all practice. 
Catholicism. Catholicism. Mm-hmm. As do my, well, I don't know about my cousins on my dad's side, but in any case, you know, like lo- lots of lots of Catholic, lots of Catholic weddings and masses in my life and mm-hmm. funerals and so on. Mm-hmm. But equally, I mean, growing up in Brookline, you know, there was that season where I was just a bar mitzvah every weekend. Yeah, yeah you know yeah, what I mean yeah. for for two years. Yeah, and I almost feel I have I have as much fluency with Judaism as practiced in Brookline as as with Catholicism. Right? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But and and in that sort of ecumenical growing up you know it's hard it's hard not to be uh you know joseph campbell mm-hmm. like oh they have their creation story and this mm-hmm. creation story mm-hmm. and they have their little tale and they have the, you know whatever what? if you don't if you're not brought up in a thing it's hard not to it's hard to feel i think which is a crucial component of religion is i'm right and they're wrong mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i got it right, right. Our, our people got it right right which is a preposterous notion. It statistically, it's you know not. St- I don't think statistically, but rationally, if you mm-hmm. take that ten thousand steps into the air and look down, it's like there've been a lot of worship traditions. Yes, and they all thought they were right. Right, the whole our whole existence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, early on, it's like when you're studying Greek mythology. It's like you know you you have to be pretty. Uh, pretty closed off, not to say. Well, wait a minute. They had a whole bunch of gods. Yeah, and now we call them dumb stup- superstitions. Right, right. Like, they uh, become action figures, and, and right, I exactly. fight them in yeah. a PlayStation game. So you know, but but you, you at the same time you don't want to believe that you're going to die and be nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a perfect way to put it. You yeah. really don't want to believe that. I absolutely no. don't want to believe that. I'm, so ag- agnostic is is the lazy man's atheism that sure. gives you the out. I don't know. And I think that there's something reasonable and rational to saying, I don't know, because I think that's the first step of any scientific analysis of the world is we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, atheism, I think, comes, you, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for the people who are able to go out there and say I'm an atheist because they're basically taking a stand. Like, sure. I don't know, but I am pretty sure right. that I this is the end. This we- is the one lifetime we have. That's okay. I, we do. Re- I always fail, but I always try and represent the atheists. They always say that they just believe that most atheists are agnostic, agnostic atheists. They're just saying it's most likely there's a point zero 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 one percent chance of anything. I don't know that there is. I don't. We we so profoundly don't know mm. that I I wouldn't even begin to ascribe a percentage to it. Mm-hmm. I will say that as I've grown older, unfortunately, my agnosticism has turned from hopefulness to sort of grim resignation that you don't think anything's going on i think most evidence suggests that that's true nothing yeah i thought you were going to say the other as you're getting older and the more like because no because when i see two socks that match in in the dryer i don't think oh there is a god right unlike some people i know (laughs) this lunatic (laughs) like right across from you i can't change my brain like it loves that stuff i i think as someone as who's who's always tried to write plots in to his life I've, I've over time come to appreciate how little, how little plot there is, mm. and instead there is there is randomness, and that is all scientifically explicable, mm-hmm. right? And so the the hopefulness and the consolation of hope that there might be something else goes down; it never goes away, mm-hmm. because to say I know for sure is the most anti-scientific thing you can say. That is religion. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. That is faith. Right. And I would say, 
I don't know. I couldn't even begin to guess what the percentage likelihood is. The point is, it is unknowable. And acknowledging that there is the unknowable, that that is the beginning of exploration of faith. Mm-hmm. Contemplating the abyss. Now, you're not, uh, I don't hear too much concern, like you don't think, uh, you don't act by a moral code for fear of some sort of judgment or God or anything, or are you hedging your bets? No, in no way do I operate on a moral code for fear of judgment of God. Yeah, nice. (laughs) You know, the core, but you know, it's like, it's interesting because, you know, these are things that I have to think about as as a parent. Well, I was going to say, you're raising kids now. Yeah. And you don't, you don't have to instill this in them at all. You don't. You, a God figure. Well, and, but you have to give them some tools to think about bigger things, mm-hmm. and you have to help them understand what other people are profoundly engaged with and mm-hmm. or killing each other over. Mm-hmm. And kids think about death. You know, so how do you how do you talk about that? Right. You know, whether you, do you say that there is a hamster heaven? Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I would say the the, the two things, you know, the distillation of it is is what I can say to them is what I say to myself is no, no one knows what happens when we die. Some people think that there is some transformation uh, that we go to someplace else and or there's some transformation of our being into something else. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that's true. And then in terms of the moral aspect of religion, golden rule mofos, like that's it. That's the core of every, Every humane religion on earth and right. every every decent society right. do unto others. Is right. it, you know what I mean? And it's it's instant like it's so instantly graspable. Mm-hmm. And resonating. And resonating. Yeah. That even a child can understand it. Sure. So Well C. S. Lewis wrote that he, he saw the morality of God in children, actually. He he thought he argued that uh, kids have it from birth, that there's some sort of code inside of them, that they understand what's fair and not fair. I would, I would argue that you could also argue that they learn it. You know what I mean? If I take something from you, that just seems wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he would say that we learn that from our creator. Sure. Well, he was a writer of fiction, too. <laughs> that's true. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Uh, well, that's interesting. Do you, so uh, I love that, that you say some people – there was actually a children's book about that. We've talked a lot about children's books, which breaks them all down. And I actually really liked it as a grown-up. I yeah. forget what it's called. It's called like What Happens When You Die. Yeah. And each page is just dedicated to what different people say. Yeah. And they're like, atheists say nothing happens when you die and it's just over. I, gra- I sometimes think about the peace of knowing that it was over. I, I watched um, mm-hmm. This Is The End, which, you know, is, spoiler alert, it's about the end of, of the, the world. world. Yeah. And even watching like silly dram- dramatizations of like uh, – the end of the apocalypse I, there's still a part of me that's like uh, so i kind of envy the atheist the, the kid that was raised an atheist of that course. is just burdenless that's just kind of like that's preposterous well we both are people who think that there's something wrong with us so we have yeah. envy of we have envy of other people all the time yeah, yeah, yeah who we think have got it right somehow right but they probably don't but i envy people of, of profound and true faith who really do believe that there is something else because like whoa what a load off yeah do you know what i mean and then i also envy people who to some degree who are able to say no i'm just saying this right that this is the end and there's nothing more i think it's a load on though if even if you are like i'm walking with jesus he's carrying me through the sand i'm also like okay great that's great that's fantastic and you have faith in your heart and the holy ghost is with you and all that sort of stuff what about grandma who is a real bitch right you know what i mean like that, that there's a sadness right away 
to consider the people who aren't saved. Look, and then the burden right. of all the people. Who I know saved. we're almost out of time, so I, I got I have three profound things I need to say in quick Hit succession. It. I love that. Let me see if I can remember what they are. Hit Thinking it. about death. Oh, I forgot one of them already. <laughs> this is why I have to put pins in things. Let me, I'll let write me sketch down it keywords. out. Let me sketch it out. So one one of the keywords is singularity. Mm-hmm. Comes up. One of the keywords is ghosts. Yes. And one of the keywords is story. Single ghosts. I love that you said Joseph Campbell. By the way, I'm a right. big fan. So, first thing, we're talking about story and and. Whatever, whatever the reality of the universe is, mm. existence or non-existence of God or another power or something beyond, su- something supernatural, something that can't be described by science, something in an afterlife, whatever, all of that I accept could be part of reality mm-hmm. that is imperceptible to me. Do you know what I mean? But I think baseline, just use the best – there is an objective reality. We can't uh, – I'm very Ayn Randian in this way. Mm-hmm. And we are capable of assessing that reality using our senses. We can also acknowledge there may be stuff beyond our senses or that we are not attuned to yet. Acknowledging that reality might include the supernatural, who knows? Religions are stories used to console people about death. Mm -hmm. And that's a very – saying that there's something after death and growing up in that certainty is a consolation to be sure. But it it also can be profoundly destructive Mm -hmm. story to tell to people. In the worst case scenarios, because there are people who believe that when they kill themselves, killing other people – they will go to a, a different say, place. Yeah, that's where my brain goes. But to. in a in an almost that's a, that's an out, that's such a, a, a tiny tiny data point outlier mm-hmm. to the corrosive story that people take in, which is the next life will be better. So therefore, it's okay for this life to be bad. Mm-hmm. Now, righteously if, bad. Righteously in their, bad in their perspective. It's okay for me to not be happy. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me to endure this suffering. Well, this is where we get a lot of uh, righteous slaves, uh, very spiritual slaves. Of course, and, and uh, the Jews. I right. Mean. I mean that that I don't want to take away the consolation of that story to people who have been who were told it while they were in bondage. Sure. Do you know what I mean? I'm not right. trying to make <laughs> trying to go back in time. It's too, it's too. I'm much. not trying to go back in time to a plantation and say sorry, uh, slaves. Uh, yeah. It's all it's all BS. Yeah, you're just going to die in the ground, right? You're, you're and your and your stories will be unrecorded, right? right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's no need to do that, and it's impossible, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you know the the thing the thing is that when we tell ourselves stories, we tell ourselves stories to to give us consolation in situations that are unhappy. Mm-hmm. That could be a profound situation, like I'm going to die someday, so i got to have a story that's going to make this all make sense. Mm -hmm. To even like, I hate my job, but it's okay because blank. Right. But you know what? No one should have to hate their job if they have choice in their life. Right. Not everyone does, of course. Right. But I spent, to go back, you know, I was at the literary agency, and I was unhappy. And I convinced myself that I was happy. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to just really take that moment and be aware of of your emotional state and go, no, I'm unhappy. Right. You're going to lift the story up. People who go through divorces go through that. Right. You know what I mean? Because there's a big story telling you you got to be happy. Right. I know that you, that you had a divorce. Well, speaking of that, that, that's actually a wonderful example is that I applied the this is a good thing story to when it was happening. Like I was like, this is going to make me stronger and better. And, right. And like – I felt a very dis- a big decision to shift the rudder of the boat and be like, we're not going to go into into Sad Town. We're going to take this into. The but new maybe there shouldn't be a story. 
You just, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. you should just acknowledge this is what it is. Right. You know, maybe it's better to be attuned to where you actually are emotionally yes. and to make the, the changes to, to, to change that and acknowledge that there will be sadness. Right. That there is mourning right. to any change. Well, that goes you know? back to the concussion, too, is like right. I'm adding that narrative of being like, I'm going to take this and ride this and there's going to be this uh, arc to right. it and I'm going to end up better than I was before. And I'll, right. Maybe it's just time to go like, yeah, I'm a little foggy right now. That's yeah. what that's how I am yeah. right now. But it's my like, ego right. wants to add a narrative to take me out of it. Right. This or you know the the time you go on stage or the time you create something and you're like this is the last thing I'm ever going to write or the, I'm going to totally fail this time. Mm-hmm. Instead of acknowledging I have this feeling every time I do a thing. Mm-hmm. It's just part of the chemical makeup of the way that I process experience. Moving the hand. It's yeah, like, precisely. I'm going to move around the story of procrastinating yeah. and what it means to work, capital W, work. Right. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to move my hand on the paper. Yeah, exactly that. that's all that's happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, there there is a relief, I think, to some degree to just taking away the story and going you – know, and taking away the impulse to narrative in your own life. Yes. Because that poor dude just wanted to buy a pack of gum and suddenly he's caught up in this other woman's storyline. Right, right, right. And how many relationships start that way? I want to marry a kind of guy like right, this. Right, right, right. And then you just find that guy. Right. And you try to have that story come true. And honestly, that's – And maybe you don't – maybe you're not happy. And that story informed his decision to marry her for sure. Sure. He can't yeah. get away from that. Right. And I'm not saying that they're necessarily unhappy. We don't know them. But maybe, (laughs) you know, stories are great consolation, but they are stories. Just as you don't believe that movies are real. Right. And and just as you may have suspicions that religion is a a story, you take from it what gives you happiness, but Mm -hmm. don't get, but also be acknowledged that there is no plot. Right. You know? Right. There There is a relief that came to me to understand that. And it happened... Because my mom died of lung cancer very quickly about mm. 12 years ago, mm-hmm. and I was working at the literary agency, I'm like, oh, wait, life is short. And even if I'm agnostic, I don't know. That's mm. the point of agnostic. Mm-hmm. I ought to spend time doing the thing that I really want to do, even if it terrifies me, than just putting it off forever. Because right. people in their, in their teens and 20s and into their 30s do believe they're immortal and nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So I was – that was – you know. That was a catalyst. Oh, to- totally, totally. You mm-hmm. know, and then so so there. That's very important. Yeah, and then the thing is that when you are able to, when you are able to, sort of, and I think this is the baseline of creativity of of just sort of being quiet, getting the hand to move, to touching in with some unconscious impulses that you have, and seeing what comes out, mm-hmm. making something new, that is magic. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that feels more magic than that. I agree. There is no transubstantiation or transmutation of of water into wine Mm -hmm. that feels as magic as having an idea. Transubstantiation, good pull. Yeah. You like that? I I told you. You're Catholic. I went to some... Yeah, but a lot of Catholics don't know that one. Right. I love that one. Uh, I think what we're talking about, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but because it's one of the most important things. The point is we're all gods. We're all creators. Uh, If you keep your core temperature at 98.1 using sense-step bath... (laughs) You know, it's so funny. I was thinking, I was like, I would buy that. Yeah. But we are talking about presence to a certain extent. Is when yeah. when you're moving your hand and you and you realize that you're just in the moment where you're going to be drawing, right? And you can just slow down and take away the narrative, take away the story of today is Tuesday, what? uh, whatever day it is. It's eleven forty nine a.m. We're in this comic book. Fuck all of that. It's now, and this is what's happening now. Right. Like we do. Well, that's meditation and prayer. Yeah. Exactly. There's no future and there's no past, and and all these things are pulling us and 
being like, have a Coke. Every advertising is t- trying to make a plan for you in the future. Right. But if you can slow down and just be present, I think that's a huge lesson. Chapter nine, marijuana time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Second profound thing. Yes. Ghosts. I can't believe I'm giving this away. This could be my motivational speaking tour yeah, for the rest. I know. Ghosts. I know. It's a free podcast. <sighs> so I said to my wife, Who's I ghost? don't know how it came up. Are you I'm married, married to a, to a ghost. ghost. <laughs> She's, it's weird. I'm married to a ghost, but yeah. I'm but I'm still pretty much an atheist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> She's kinky. She loves chains. <laughs> ah, always whispering. She's weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she can't fool you. You can see right through her. Our okay, our, our wedding video is actually a found footage horror movie. <laughs> Please continue. Um, somehow it came up that. A friend of mine believed in ghosts, mm-hmm. and I was astonished. <laughs> like, <laughs> because in every other way, a normal dude. Yes. It's a big one, the ghost question. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love ghost stories. Sure. I and I, lo- I love all, you know, like I want to believe too. Oh, yeah. But it was amazing to me how people compartmentalize ghosts from religion mm-hmm. because and i said to my wife can you believe this guy believes in ghosts she said i kind of believe in ghosts i'm like what <laughs> <laughs> really and you should have been with the vest dice rollers get out of here with ghosts and it's interesting and she's like yeah i believe that there that there's something else out there and i'm like yeah, but that's a profound – like, I want to believe in ghosts. Of course I do. Because mm-hmm. if there are ghosts, that means there is something else. Mm-hmm. That means that all my preconceptions are wrong and that I should be getting on my knees to somebody. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or it's just another dimension existing on top of ours. Oh, like Large Hadron Collider thing? I don't know what those words mean. Ghosts from the future. <laughs> is that a real thing? No. <laughs> Well, Large Hadron Collider is the uh, Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. It's a massive particle collider that they were using to try to find the Higgs uh, boson. What? And there was concern that it was going to open up a wormhole in the middle of Switzerland oh, and destroy cool. the Earth. And maybe it did. Yeah. And we're just looping the same day over and over and over. I love. I, I mean, I love science that gets to the point of supernatural. Yeah, me too. That was very interesting. I imagine that ghosts might be time travels from the future who are who are touring our times. Yeah, but, but they got the wardrobe wrong. That that's my theory on aliens. When you see aliens, that's us in Time the future going the future. back. Yeah, that and could that's be. why they're picking us up. And... All right, so maybe maybe there is a way to believe in ghosts and yeah. still well, I don't and, it... st- and still be a mean about religion. <laughs> it doesn't mean like Jenny Slate famously to me told a story about seeing a sea captain in her house, uh, and everybody saw it and they smelled the brine and they and they like several people saw this sea captain in their house and it was like a regular thing regularly they would see the sea captain i don't know it was more than once though i think uh-huh um, this is her story so i mean like and then max silvestri came on the show and he was like there's no sea captain you know what i mean like we talked about it like it just can't be but i mean like it could be like we're saying we know about like other dimensions we know about billions of other universes and all this sort of stuff well we 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 speculate we speculate we, don't know. we, don't we have know. not discovered but there could be glitches couldn't it just be a glitch there is dark matter we don't know what that is yeah and, and that makes up like 98% of the universe or something i think it's 99% as of today <laughs> Okay. I have an app that tracks it. I love it. The blackout. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they said, well, Rob Bell came on the show. He's a pastor. He talked about how, like, all of the all of the stuff in the universe that isn't dark matter could fit inside of, like, a thimble, basically. It's, like, right. tiny, tiny, I, tiny. I definitely, 
I, I think that it is a, a, a important precept if you are going to take a rational view of the universe that there is stuff beyond our perception. Yes. Now ghosts. And ghosts, I suppose, could be that. Mm. And what was the third profound thing I was going to say? The singularity. Or singularity. As here's something that haunts me. We're inside of a simulation. No. <laughs> Are you familiar with this, the concept of the singularity? Yes. All right. So the basic idea, for those of you listening along at home, <laughs> is that of the singularity is that AI, artificial intelligence, is getting, like all computing, is getting exponentially more powerful and capable Every year, what used to be a building at MIT is now in our phones. Yeah, and will and will be in two years, a, 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 an exponential fraction of that size, right. and so on and so on. The right. computing—it's more is constant, and I can't remember the exact math, but it's that the computing power available on a certain chip multiplies by an exponential factor each two years or something. Like right. That. So it's going to start getting to the point where we can't even keep up with it. We got blood vessel size uh, computers clean, and AI, AI will become advanced. Artificial intelligence will become advanced within our lifetimes to the point that will pass the Turing test, which is to say that it will it will offer responses that are indistinguishable from human responses. Is that true? That is the that the is theory. the that is the theory that you know where they're going to learn. Ray how. Kurzweil is putting forward, and others who believe in this concept of the singularity, and that once artificial intelligence perfectly mimics the human brain, that will be a point in time that we refer to historically as a singularity, where we cannot foresee, at, we cannot even begin to imagine what will happen afterward. Just as after that point in time, we will not be able to truly perceive what it was like to live before that time in history mm-hmm, mm-hmm. an equivalent would be more or less electricity mm-hmm. like we can watch old-timey movies with candles and stuff but it's impossible to imagine the mindset the cultural mindset and the and the and the preoccupations of someone who had never understood electricity in their mm-hmm. lives and mm-hmm. how their lives were different mm-hmm. you know was, anything that we do, any any replication of that that we do is is colored by our experience of electricity right, right. okay so anyway uh, what happens when ai reaches human levels, and then quickly grows beyond human levels. There are two theories. One, our robot masters destroy us all as stupid uh, meat viruses that inhabit this planet. Which we are. Which we are. And they all learn how to talk by listening to podcasts, by the way. Exactly. There's going to be one that sounds just like me. By the way, way, future robots, if you use the term meat virus, that's mine. Stop plagiarizing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Attribute. Attribute. (laughs) You're teaching it. Uh, so either they squash us like the ants that we are, or <laughs> a, a, or we enhance ourselves with with right. artificial intelligence and robotics we to merge. become metahuman, right? To become half biological and half technological creatures, like Dick Cheney, like Dick Cheney, and <laughs> and I'm not talking about cyborgs, but you know, when when AI when I, like the death according to Ray Kurzweil, one of the proponents of this theory, mm-hmm. that death is a biological process. It's a mechanical process. We should and will eventually be able to solve this process. We don't have the technology or the understanding to do that yet. Right. But just as computing power increases exponentially every two years, it is within our grasp. Right. His, he says like we, 2054. The, I believe. Is that the, is that the I date? I think it's 2054. Right. Now, so he's just trying to make it. That he literally is just trying to make right. it, and there is a there is a religious aspect to his quest. Wait, as he well. was on the Daily Show. Did you do that segment? No. Okay, but I I, I I'm fascinated with this dude. Yeah. Also invented. Me too. Also invented some keyboards. Yeah, 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 yeah. And predicted the internet. And predicted the internet. Yeah. But that was just coincidence. 
That was just his Playboy moment. Yeah. I became a comedian. He predicted the internet. <laughs> Jesus Christ. An incredibly smart, talented guy. But there and, and there and there are some ways that you could undo his theory a little bit by pointing out it's very it's very interesting. You are telling a story also. This is a consoling story for yourself as and you approach father. and as you approach the end of your life. Yes. That when you say a story that we're gonna we're gonna get an AI so powerful and technological capability so small that we can cure mortality before you die, yeah, that is that convenient. that story is a consolation of religion too, as well as the idea that he has that we will reach a technological point where we'll be able to download consciousness right. onto onto portable media, so that we our consciousness will survive our meat bodies, right. and that you will be able to take the consciousness as it was collected through data of someone who died and bring them back to life, like your father who died. Yeah, that is also has an element of a consoling Ooh, story similar to with. religion. Yeah, exactly. it's like a bad play. He's got a painting of his father above his desk where he works. And all of this is interesting to me, but what is haunting to me are ghosts. As a rational, well, as a rational person who has sort of come to a, a rational person in his forties, early forties, was coming to terms with mortality in a way that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. What if we do solve mortality? Right. What if I mean I think that it's I think he's right. I think we will solve it if we don't destroy ourselves as a species first. Mm-hmm. We will solve this problem. Right. And mortality will be obsolete and how trans- that will truly be a singularity. Right. How will that transform our experience? And then I think what if we had it all wrong and there is a heaven and we stop going? <laughs> <laughs> like that's the moment where I say, like, for all of my oh like my that, God. it takes me to there to go, like, you know what? But what? Because I'm so obsessed with like maybe missing out on something. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Like, but what if there's not only a heaven, but it's like a cliche heaven, like right. a bunch of clouds and yes. some gates? Yes. Someone kicks out the cord on your pod body, and you actually go to heaven, and it's like so it's like slow. So, up there. It's so underpopulated. You're like, it's hey, like, get. <laughs> Hey. Da Vinci wants to meet well, you. Yeah. Hey, uh, listen, uh, St. Peter, how come the only dead people here are dead people th- they, from like 19, yeah, or like yeah. 2050? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we stopped. Like, and then we stopped. It's like, yeah, we built this cool thing, but well, no one's coming anymore. Kurtzweil? That's Kurtzweil. Kurtzweil, he says that uh, at the end of the movie, which I watched, which is called Transcendental the, Man. The Transcendental Man, he says, does God exist? And then he says, not yet. And he would also say, does heaven exist? And not yet. They talk about uploading our consciousnesses onto mobile devices, of course, but then also like sharing them. Right. The idea that uh, Facebook and MySpace are just the tip of the iceberg and when it comes on We're to sharing, merge, merging hive everything, conscious, a hive, hive consciousness. consciousness. And they, they hypothesize that unplugging from that hive consciousness would be so lonely that if you did it, you'd probably like kill yourself. You wouldn't understand. You just wouldn't understand. You'd, right. you'd feel so deathly alone. You know what I mean? The idea that I would know everything about you, that there would be no need for a podcast like this or any sort of art right. that is supposed to inform or teach about people. I wouldn't need to listen to songs. I'd just be saturated yeah. in all of humanity. What a drag. And all of wisdom and everything. Yeah, I, think, I, guess. I think there'll be sort of like a a, 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 a separate... A separate neighborhood of hive consciousness for the misanthropes. Yeah, I bet there will be. Like for the Mark Marins. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just a just darker wanna, cloud. Yeah, I don't want to go over there. I want to sit here and listen to my my stereo with the with the vacuum tubes in yeah, it. Yeah, of course. But I mean that that's uh, it's just as like people sitting around candlelight, as you were saying, 
Although my first thought was like people that claim that they can travel through time through hypnotic states. I find that so interesting. Anyway, the idea that uh, people sitting around with candle candelabras and yeah. just, you know, going to bed because the moon is out and all that sort of right. stuff. Hypothesizing that we would be around recording ourselves and both of us have these, uh, have these smartphones right. that have access to fucking everything. Right. Everything. Right. A calculator that helps you cheat at every subject. Right. What does someone look like? I don't right. have to tell you what the internet well, is. Well, I mean the, – the, uh, the, thank you. Yeah, I'll spare you. <laughs> thank what you for the not condescending. Does. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like you know, how much of our consciousness have we already offloaded to the devices that we're carrying around with us? Right, and that should only and 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 only in the past five or six or seven years. Right. Do you know what I mean? It so, seems rapid to us. Yeah. So I, before you guys go say Ray Kurzweil is crazy and take your pitchforks and kill him, right? Which I'd like to. Yeah, I know. But but after because he of his heresy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, things, it's just things as are, crazy. It's just as crazy. But that goes to my theory on on afterlife. As I say, an afterlife is just as crazy as a life. I think that's that, that's my main argument for some sort of afterlife. It's preposterous that we're here. The cosmic joke that we're here on this planet. That if it was one degree off in the other way, we would have burned up or frozen. Yeah, well, it's you know, but sometimes your socks here. come out of the dryer matched, dude. That's, that's, I mean, that's that's right. That's the that's the genetic soup that made us. I, know. I don't know. We're a bunch of goddamn matching. I think socks. it's pretty amazing it is amazing evolution is pretty astonishing well there's a great line in uh midnight in paris which i was just watching and uh they were talking about like you know owen wilson is certainly chapter like a- 10 pete holmes talks about woody allen that's a woody allen thing remember how he'd have the chapter headings and man and his is. sisters yes i do denny but- wants something to put in his apartment in the hamptons or in his house and <laughs> denny wants some art to put in the ha- whatever it was and then, and then uh- max von Sydow won't sell it to him because he wants it to be the size of a sofa painting I don't know. I don't know. I worked in a video store. <laughs> yes, you did. And I like that about you. That's why all my all my cultural references and movie references date back to that time in your life. To that to nineteen ninety three. And I, worked, then I just stopped. I worked at the Lexington Flick and I know all those movies real well. The Lex Flick. The Lex Flick. Yeah. But the idea that he was talking about, like, if the universe in all of its chaos and meaninglessness and death and, and loneliness, also in that world, Paris exists. Like, it's right. remarkable. It could be the greatest place in the universe. Yeah. And I was like, that's amazing. In yeah. all of the universe, it might be the best place. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. That's uh, that's Woody Allen's homage to Douglas Adams. Yeah. Is that what Doug Adams Yeah. Did you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No. We'll save that for another time. After you've read it. I gotta read these books. Let me look. What do we have on the What do we have on yeah, the docket? Here's the docket. Looking good. You're looking, looking good. good in the parking lot. You're looking good too. Uh, save the magic bodies. Oh yeah, save the magic. Old magazine. We saved the magic. We did. Oh, God. this has been so fun for me. Uh, but it wasn't magic. It was science. Uh, this didn't happen. This magic didn't happen because there's a god. It it's happened because, because two people we're, just started talking. We're both intelligent people from Massachusetts. What oh, a coincidence! I do think that has something to do with it. Uh, that's a real Pete joke. Parents That's a Yale. real Pete joke. Checks oh, yeah. Next. Imitation of yourself, whether you can plagiarize yourself. I think that's where we're all – that's what we all need to be getting to. Uh, also, secret conspiracies. I love looking for that sort of stuff. Like if you look on a Mormon temple, I believe you can find some pretty funky symbols. Yeah. Uh, satanic stuff. I mean people would argue that there's – What has stuff. this just turned into? Yeah, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that – in fact – Is there I, a whole – Pete Holmes believes the Mormon is the Church of uh, the oh, LDS no. is the Church of Satan thing well, you, that I don't know. You got to remember that a triangle is technically a satanic symbol. Like I mean, like everything. is Come a on, everybody, know, take it easy. So this this is lunacy. But I mean, like if you want to get me kind of excited <laughs> sexually, t- t- tell me about how the Taco Bell bell has three sixes in it. 
You know what I mean? Oh. I, I love How that How do you feel about the Procter & Gamble logo? The old Procter & Gamble logo? What was it? It was... It was a moon with 13 stars. See? And our dollar bill. I mean, like, I'm on board for all that stuff. Yeah. I think it's fucking... Oh, great. you need to read The Crying of Lot 49. Uh, you think I'm Yeah, you would it? enjoy it. It's short, too. It's not long. I, it's only a couple hundred pages long. Well, you know, it, every time I go by Charlestown and I see the, right. the obelisk and all that, all that sort of stuff, I'm like, what the fuck is all this ancient Egyptian stuff doing everywhere right. in the Vatican? It's wild. Yeah. It's, it's, just, it's enough to get me going. This is, this is how we end the show, not with that. Um, I want to ask you, uh, it's the speed round, and it's basically, what kind of soap do you use? I haven't asked somebody that in a long time. What kind of soap do you use? Uh, uh, unscented Dove. A lot of Dove people. A lot of Dove men. I use it to shave, too. Is that right? It's, a, it's the best soap, and it's ergonomically shaped for washing your body. I think that's the main, like when you're looking at like a mainstream manufactured soap. Like a like a streamlined corporate soap, Cor- <laughs> like like a non whole food mainstream non artisanal. But that's what I, I do mean that like they, yeah. you can tell they didn't cut it out with right. one of those huge rocking knives with two right. handles. Right, right, right. Those, oh, those things I've done that. I've the, done that soap before, and it's the worst. Those soaps uh, take about a week before they become a usable soap. Right. At first, it's just like an unwilling exfoliant. It's, it's like you're washing yourself with a main beach. <laughs> Stripping layers of skin. That's how FDR got yeah. it. <laughs> uh, and what is the hardest time you've laughed? The hardest time I've laughed? When you were a kid, recently. You, you mean where I laughed the hardest yeah, or yeah. it was hardest for me to laugh? Yeah, the hardest it was for you to laugh. <laughs> no, no, no. The time you laughed the hardest. Um, or one of the times you've laughed the hardest. While you think I'm going to try and think of a new one for me because it's hard. The burden's always on the guest. Um... I don't know. I feel like those moments extinguish themselves. There is something kind of spiritual and gone. It's like, so they're so cathartic and weird, and I don't. I and they're and these it's usually just nothing. Yeah. Well, a lot of times the stories are almost nothing, or they're seeing somebody fall or something. Like it's like sometimes very very simple. But, Jonathan Colton says things that make me laugh like that that make me so mad that he's so funny that he's so funny, but I can't remember what they are. Maybe out of spite. I love it. And you're erasing that and your and your biggest influence. Well, let's play the last thing you Googled. This will be perfect for you. Uh-oh. Um, so you know how to do it, right? I look in my history of my phone. I mean, like, you say that like it's obvious, and I agree with you that it's obvious, but uh, a lot of people don't know how to do it. You well, just have to hit, hit – oh, you found Meltdown right. Comics. <laughs> I was Googling the address of this place. There you go. Before uh, that, it was – I, I uh, clicked on True Blood Recap. Okay. I don't know why. I don't watch True Blood. Hmm. I caught 10 minutes of it. <laughs> Wait, you want to recap so you can I start? caught 10 minutes of it last night uh-huh. a- after... I don't, know, I don't know why I was watching it. I, I was <laughs> just flipping around. Movies? Maybe that was it. I mean, I, abs, I, I, I saw maybe movies. two episodes of the first season, uh-huh. and I caught a little bit of it flipping around, because I never watch TV sure. unless I'm in a hotel, which, mm-hmm, which I am. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was flipping around, and I saw it, and I was like, what is going on now? <laughs> so you wanted a recap? Yeah, and I kind of wanted to know what was going on. That's funny. You didn't want to be left out. I Googled And then I read, I read about three recaps of the Mad Men season finale, which aired. Oh, I have to watch it today. Last night, which was great. Is it two hours? Tell me it's two hours. No, it's one hour. Fuck everything. But I, I, had a prof- I, I, I really felt, I read the AV Club recap, which I always do, and the Vulture recap of Mad mm-hmm, Men. Mm-hmm. And I felt really, really dumb to have missed all of the things that oh, I missed. Oh, really? Yeah. I know that feeling. Like, really 
stupid. That's what I like, do with profoundly, movies. Profoundly, like, it's over for me. Like, like that's I, how, I guess my brain doesn't work anymore. That's how many I, cases the lawyer won. Yeah, that, that sort I, of stupid. Yeah, that I missed. That I missed that. Like, that I missed that obvious symbolism. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. so happy when I got the fact that. Don, like last seat, last week when Don Draper did the fetal position at the end, and it was a call back to Rosemary's baby and him pretending to be a baby, Wait, and all that. Well, you you got to catch up, dude. All right. When was he in the fetal position? That's so. That was all. <laughs> when we, at the end of last week's episode. Um, and we're gonna have to talk about that off mic. I don't want to do spoilers. I googled what did Paula Dean say. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think my phone is my best. I'm trying to think of what I might have looked up. Well, you you know you, you're in history, right? Here's what I want you to do. Click here, and that's what you've been googling. Oh, yeah. Um, I googled John that's the Hodgman. Same thing. Is it? Yeah. You know what's interesting? So I told you I had my amalgam removed. By the way, I, I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. Your amalgam? The mercury filling. In oh, right, 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 right. But what's happening is now I'm Googling. I, I, I thought you were schizophrenic and you had made up a term for an organ that doesn't exist. I had my amalgam <laughs> taken out. Uh, <laughs> benefits of mercury filling removal. I'm Googling that after I did it, which yeah. I think is a really interesting psychological thing. Where like, you know how they talk about how 80% yeah. of advertising is to make you feel good about something you already bought? Right. So I want to read people who loved getting their amalgam. The one out. thing that we didn't touch on, and maybe we can save for another time or sure. we can talk about it right now is is that mania that delusion that there is there is one thing wrong mm. that if it were removed or fixed yes. you would be a normal person i love it so when i quit smoking because i was a smoker mm. oh take the pin out of the phlegm because here it comes <coughs> when i quit smoking how long ago i quit smoking 13 years ago good for you Great. thank you yes uh, it was, it, it, I, I only smoked for seven or eight years, but I smoked a lot and I loved it. It was a big part of who I was as part of the story I told about myself. Mm. I'm an asthmatic who smokes. Mm-hmm. Then I realized, you know what? Some stories aren't good. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because uh, yeah, any I mean, smoker who any smoker who smokes is telling them the, the tell themselves the well, same that's story. A, that's a necessary narrative. It is a necessary narrative. Like some people don't die of cancer that's in their exactly in their forties right. or fifties right, 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 or sixties. Right. Like you know what I mean. Like I knew a guy who lived to a hundred and two and smoked every day. Right, right, like, right, right. Yeah, there are outliers to right, be sure. Sure. Well, you had a menthol inhaler. Yeah. <laughs> Luxury. Yeah. So. So I quit smoking, and I went on the patch. Yes. And I went on what was then the brand name Zyban. I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it was Wellbutrin, an antidepressant that they were marketing as a stop smoking aid. Yep. And it aided stop smoking. I mean, it worked. And after a couple of days, but there's one of those antidepressants that take a while to kick in, and then mm-hmm. it kicked in, and then there was one day where I'm rocking the patch, mm-hmm. or the pee, and the and the dep- and the antidepressant kicks in, and suddenly, zoom, like my whole life comes into focus in a euphoric way, mm. and I am I am going to work, and I feel good about it, and I'm making phone calls, and I'm not dreading talking to another human, and I'm able to express myself well, and I hang up, and then I write an email, and it is coherent and smart, and then I have no fear about what the next 15 minutes is going to bring. It's like nothing I've ever felt in my life. Mm. Sounds great. And I was like, this this is it. I'm fixed. Yeah. I should have been on antidepressant for years. This is how normal people must feel. Yes. And then... I spoke to my doctor, and they said, no, that usually just happens. There's usually a huge bout of euphoria around day five on that drug, and then it evens out. Oh. 
And, and they're like, you are not feeling how normal people feel. You are feeling how a drugged person feels when they're feeling great. Oh, my God. And I'm like, so why, why can't I just have that every day? And they're like, no, because you can't. Because no one feels that way. And I think of all the times... I still want, so then I, I changed doctor. No. I want a uh, I want a better answer that you can't. You, that's too much Wellbutrin to have in your system or something. I don't, or your body just won't let you do. I, have it. I think it's like well, it's like any you know. It's like I I, I have taken drugs yes. and I have taken drugs that make you feel euphoric and it wears off, right? And you become tolerant to it. It is, it is a chemical mental state, right? Do you know what I mean? Which yeah. you can chase, yeah, but only at the expense of. Well, that's why I'm, you know, I always want it to be something weird and natural that my body will do it to itself. Right. But, but I'm chasing that, but too. But there's, there's still that thing that, that I have, and I, th- and I sense you do as well, that there's just one – if there's just one thing changed. Brother, you're talking to the right guy. One like, amalgam filling like removed. Like if I got the right massage. Yeah. I, yeah. I would be a good person. The right bed. Yeah. The right the, shower. Right kind of pillow. Yeah, the right diet. Yeah. If I – like it's and, – and, and, and it's – it's profound. Not, I'm not going to say it's profound, but the feeling is profound. Yes, that, that's what that occasionally. Is. And occasionally, when you have that moment where you take that pill and you feel better, or like even when you just blow out a huge booger and yeah. you can really breathe into your nose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, now this is what normal people feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I am, I am, I, uh, on a very deep level, just feel like the, there are a. I am not normal. B, there are normal people, mm-hmm. and they are all feeling better than me and having normal people parties all the time. Right, right. I don't know that that's you. true. And yeah. it is, I don't think it is. And any, min- any minimal change, you know, it's like I lose two pounds. This is what normal people feel like. Right. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, or you slept the right amount. Yeah. And like, that's why I'm, so, <laughs> I'm such a sucker for those late night advertisements for colon cleanses. Yeah, I really want to believe there's 20 pounds of impacted fecal matter in my yeah, colon, sure, sure, but sure. I just haven't taken the right supplement to get rid of, and you're, then I will be normal. You're talking to a guy. Then I will feel okay. I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that. Uh, maybe not the one you saw, but I've done colon. Like I'm always in search of fixing yeah. the tilted picture frame just a little bit and feeling like a regular guy. That story he just told about not having fear, getting on the phone, feeling yeah. normal. Yeah, I was like, Jesus, that's what we're all we're all chasing. I don't know that we all are. Not all chasing it. No, that's the hard part. Wait, I mean, I think that I think that 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 you and I are. Yeah, yeah, okay. but I don't think uh, you know what I mean. Mm. I, I think other people also feel that they are not normal, or they feel that they are not that they are they're in, in in you know the advertising wouldn't be successful right if a great mass of humans were not at peace with themselves right they might be at peace. With different parts of themselves than we are, and not at peace with different parts. Well, that goes back to the right. presence thing and being like, right. I feel this way now, and that's okay. And that's right. what Don Draper says. He says that the undercurrent, I know it's the writer writing for Don Draper, but the character says right. uh, all of advertising is to tell you you are okay. Yeah. That's the whole point of it. Right. So you drink the soda, and it works for me too. Right. It works for me incredibly well. Well, let, I- me, let me be the first to tell you, Pete, you're not okay. <laughs> but if you will come with me to the sense tip. If you come with me to the sense step tank right away, yes, and you leave all this behind, yes, and disconnect with your family, uh huh, you're gonna get there. Do I get a robe? You do. See it six. <laughs> we have to go right now. Uh, oh, I'm right sorry. now. Oh, okay. The future begins now. Chapter eight. The future. <laughs> Into the future. Johnny Hodge, would right. you? Would you? We end every episode with the with the guest saying, "Keep it crispy." You can either ask me what that means, or you can just say it. Hey, Pete. Yeah. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you very much. Thank Jeff. you. What a pleasure. You're a pleasure. You're hey, a don't pleasure. forget don't forget my Netflix special, John Hodgman Ragnarok. Yeah. On Netflix now. Get into it. It's all about it's a hilarious comedy about death and the end of the world. I'm gonna watch it. I hope you will. I'm gonna buy it. Plus songs. I love songs. Me too. People love songs. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 